Good evening, everyone. I am your host, Jason Miles, and welcome to another episode of This is Revolution Podcast. If you're new to the channel, please like and subscribe if you're enjoying what you see. Make sure you hit that notification bell so you're alerted whenever we go live because we're constantly doing new shows, and I'm always taking over White Guy Wednesday. <laughs> Just regentrifying, gentrifying, regentrifying. I don't know. Maybe I'm lowering the property value. <laughs> all right i'll stop it's been a while since i've been on the screen it's good to be back for a little bit definitely have to take off again this weekend but we do have a good show today talking about something that my old ass loves talking about but before we start there's also some big news in the tir camp my work is finally being published my essay i was a teenage anarchist will be available next month in print from everyday analysis talks have intensified about a live intimate book launch until i've been gone impressing everybody we're gonna do a book launch in the bay area where i am from i'm gonna be joined with a bunch of friends from the scene and when i say friends i mean some longtime legends more guys from the metal scene the punk scene uh, but definitely they have some roots in punk. Uh, the only name I can confirm right now is Chris Contos, who you might know as the original drummer from Machine Head. He's also, I believe he's the original drummer in Attitude Adjustment. Um, he's in Forbidden right now. I've known Chris for some time. Really good dude. Great stories. So we're going to be doing, you know, read a little bit from the book and have a little talk, Chris and I. And then, of course, we're going to take Q&A from the audience. And I wish I could name some of the other names that Chris threw out. Um, but we're just waiting for some more people to confirm. But we do have the date, and that is November 18th in the Bay Area. So I'm really, really excited about that. Now that that is out the way, let me bring in 
my I don't even want to really say guest because he's more of a co-host for this my comrade in this trip down memory lane but also it's going to have some deep dive analysis I have to say there's a few people who I really love their film takes and I love JG's film takes JG is the guy that when he says something I go I can check that movie out so I appreciate that Please welcome the homie, J.G. Michael. Hey, what's up, everybody? Dude, thanks for thanks for agreeing to do this. Originally, we were going to talk about a movie that you were like, I'm not the biggest fan. I, I'm reading it, and I'm sure you're saying it kind of like, eh, whatever. But I'm reading it in your more uh, stern tone. <laughs> <laughs> for no good reason other than the low self-esteem demon has possessed me. And I'm... <laughs> I'm reading your message. You're like, I don't know about both those movies. I just like Carol King. And I was like, Yeah, I like Carol King. It's Latka's wife. <laughs> um I, I wanted to talk there's a movie called When a Stranger Calls Back. And it it is a sequel that came out, what, maybe ten years after its predecessor uh, yeah, it actually been something like that, yeah. And that's where Toussaint and I get the joke. The call is coming from inside the house. <laughs> because there was, I felt that there are multiple movies during that time that did that thing. And it comes from that, that uh, urban legend of the babysitter watching the kids and phone rings. But the sequel to that, which comes out in 1990, also before we have uh, caller ID, um, is called When a Stranger Calls Back. And that opening scene there's two movies where their opening scenes to me are just are terrifying because i've lived it jeepers creepers which to me is like a mediocre horror film that opening though the first like 20 30 minutes of that movie is frightening because i've been on those roads to nowhere yeah that movie for me takes a nosedive once they get into the uh when they're after they're they've explored the layer of the creeper i'm like it kind of goes in a different direction that that's the thing with when a stranger calls when a stranger calls back i like the first 20 minutes but then it feels so different after that you know the whole movie so um somebody's teasing me about my shirt and you know maybe if you guys remind me tomorrow i'll tell you the story of my fake polo shirt in high school (laughs) you will feel sorry for me um but but uh in that movie, there's a young lady who is babysitting some kids, and she gets a knock on the door from a gentleman saying that he needs to use the phone. I actually remember when people did that. Knock on your door. Hey, can I use your phone? I'm stuck. Because she's in a suburban area um, where there's probably no pay phones, right? If you lived in a suburb or anything similar to a suburb, there was probably hard to find a pay phone. And the guy goes, can you call the auto club for me? He gives her a number and she starts dialing the number and then she just doesn't do it, which I, I kind of always like, why didn't she do it? <laughs> why didn't she just call the auto club? Anyway, she doesn't call the auto club and assumes the guy is just going to go away. And the gentleman comes back and she gets really scared. She tries to, oh, 
she can't call the auto club because remember he he cuts the line he cuts the line so instead of saying oh i can't call because the line's cut that's why she didn't um she just goes oh i called but he, of course the guy knows um he comes back like a third time and he goes you're just a babysitter like i know you're here alone and basically says the same thing in the first one you know have you checked the children kind of thing and uh, she goes up and the kids aren't there and you know then there's this kind of insane chase throughout the house or she's trying to run out and uh she's trying to get out of the house and i don't care what you say jj that's the scariest thing in the world she looks over and you see the guy like, like the guy was in the house the whole time and you know she opens the door and runs out but the family happened to come home and you know they never find the guy um totally scared the bejesus out of me <laughs> no trust me i i love the um the opening act of uh when a stranger calls and i i think jill Sholin is actually one of the most underrated scream queens of that era because yeah, uh, she's also in popcorn well popcorn cutting class with brad Pitt. cutting class that's right and she's in the stepfather which is my favorite you know <sighs> unforgotten 80s horror movie you know, you know she she kind of has a real flat delivery and i think that's why she's and she never really showed her boobs i don't think she ever showed her boobs mm-hmm. you know do we remember Linnea Quigley from her great acting or do we remember Linnea Quigley because she couldn't keep her clothes on in any movie? <laughs> right. Uh, she, yeah, she, if I saw her, she was going to be in a movie, I would watch it. Not because I had like a crush on or anything. I just knew the movie would be pretty good. And I remember watching cutting class probably at 2 AM in my preteen years on Cinemax. Like this is, I think this is before Brad Pitt was like a thing. Oh, it was way before he was. Yeah, famous. yeah. I remember. I definitely remember watching that movie like super late at night. Like, what is this crap? Um, and when a stranger calls, I think is a pretty good movie, but it also falls in line with everything that was coming out in 1980. You know, everything post Halloween, and then you know, Friday the 13th becomes real predictable. I think. I don't know. Do you like The Prowler and stuff like that? I think The Prowler is a much more interesting pe- movie than people realize. I mean, the villain is like, you know, supposed to be a World War II vet or whatever, and I always yeah. found that very odd. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, to me, it's an odd movie. It's like the, I mean, there's arguments that it could be seen as like weirdly questioning of war. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I do like The Prowler a lot, but uh, yeah, a lot of those movies all sort of blend together. I get what you mean. You know, I, I was watching a slasher a while back called Silent Madness. And it, okay. it like after I watched it, I was just like, this blends in with every other movie. I'm not going to remember it. You know? um, was it Italian? No, I think it was like a Canadian movie. It was originally Ooh. made in like 3D. Um, it's like Ooh. an asylum slasher. And they even have like a Dr. Loomis character in it, but it's played by a woman. You know, so it's, it's basically just a straight Halloween ripoff. And somebody says in the chat, they just watched Halloween 3. I... I'm the biggest proponent of Halloween 3. I think Halloween 3, I think it's so much better than Halloween 2. And it's an enjoyable movie, and I really wish they would have went down that rabbit hole of making them an anthology series. I love Halloween 3. I I love Halloween 3, too. Sans the uh, 
weird like anti-irish sentiment in it. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's it's an interesting movie because it it almost is like uh, I, I don't know if i i should politicize it this much it's like weirdly anti-capitalist in a way you know, like the evil silver shamrock the evil mm-hmm. corporation is at the uh part of everything so you know I, I i think that's a much more subversive film than people give it credit for i think it falls in line with uh carpenter's politics well, definitely Carpenters, yeah. You know, he's a he's a new lefty from the '60s that definitely sees the man as a problem, mm-hmm. as many of his many of his acolytes did. I think that, again, that's why a lot of those movies from those guys are so good <laughs> because sure. they did have that analysis. Although, although to be fair, we have to we have to always note, you know, Carpenter didn't direct Halloween Three. It was uh, Tommy Wallace, Tommy Lee Wallace, who that's I believe true. also did uh, Fright Night Part Two. Um, which is a slept on classic as well. Fright Night 2. I, I like Fright Night Part 2 a lot. I love the yeah. role reversal between um, the main character and Rodney McDowell's Peter Vincent. Yeah. Fright Night 2 is like, don't sleep on Fright Night 2. And that Fright Night 2 scared the bejesus out of me as well as a, as a little person trying to watch it. Halloween 3, though, I, I think is a good segue into the uh, topic we agreed upon about you know, the satanic panic movies. So in a weird way, it fits into that. I don't know if you'd agree. Yes. Uh, originally, we wanted to talk about, uh, because because after I read, again, reading JG's response to <laughs> talking about what a stranger calls, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and something had crossed the screen, and I was like, oh, let's do one on, on uh, all these movies that came out during the 80s that, I would directly link to the moral panic that we call the satanic panic, trick or treat, the gate, um, some of the Canadian ones, black roses. If, if anybody's seen that, um, what's another satanic panic film? I mean, there's a, there's a whole like subgenre in and of itself of like rock and roll horror. Yeah. So there's black roses, trick or treat, rock and roll nightmare, rock and roll night, the horrible film. That is like one of the worst movies I've ever but it, seen. But for some reason, it gets an amazing Blu-ray release. It, I think it's one of those so bad, it's good. Someone says video nasties. Yeah, a lot of these were video nasties in the UK. Um, it, look, but look, as many people know that are watching and will be listening to this show on audio-only formats, most of us on TIR, and I believe present company, are Gen Xers. And as Gen Xers, there's nothing that was more profound in our growing up than the satanic panic and the end days of the Cold War. Tonight we're going to be speaking about some of these films. And JG wrote notes for me for tonight, which I found extremely helpful. And I went to go rewatch Trick or Treat because I thought JG had seen The Gate. JG goes, oh, by the way, I haven't seen The Gate. And I was ready to walk to Pittsburgh to shake the shit out of you. <laughs> How can you, like, what bubble did you live in? How fundamentally Christian was your family? Are you some sort of weird Mormon? Were you on punishment from the years of 85 to 92? See, you're How forgetting you... I'm a millennial. What year were you born? I was born in 91. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm an old soul, though. So. I used to, I'll, I'll say this. Are you smoking I used to vegan see, cigarettes? What's that? Are you smoking vegan cigarettes? Uh, 
I wish. Uh, <laughs> I, I need to cut that, uh, cut down on the six, but haven't had one all day. I hope it, hope it doesn't bother anyone. But um, the gate, I, I used to see that when I would go to um, this. There was a video store called Incredibly Strange Video. That's how I got into all of this. My friend Bruce Lentz ran it. He's also known as Mr. Schlock. He was uh, <laughs> he had a public access thing on TV as Mr. Schlocko or whatever. And uh, he ran this video store, Incredibly Strange Video, and I would always see the gate because the, the cover was like so, you know, awesome. you just had those yes. words, the gate on it. And then, the you know, it looked like tombstones and whatnot. And then there was a sequel too, right? I mean, yes, there's Gate, gate two, 2. And I, I don't think it's a sequel name only. There is some connection. Oh, the, they oh, the, act, the main the, actor back. The one of the main actors does come back. Uh, Stephen but Dorf Stephen Dorff doesn't. Does yeah, not yeah. come back. Um, I think I think uh, Bobby Hill is in it. Pamela Segal Aldon. Okay. I believe she's huh. the woman in it. Um, I could be wrong, but I think she's the woman in it. Uh, I, I love any movie that had um, the backwards playing of records. I was all about. And if your horror movie was going to have like the backwards playing of a record, count me in because I definitely was all into the iconography of heavy metal, um, despite what I'm wearing today. <laughs> but um, the main movie we're going to be discussing is Trick or Treat, uh, the 1986 movie. Uh, JG, you sent some notes and talking points that I found interesting. You put the Satanic Panic movie era all the way back to the Exorcist movie. Can you elaborate on that? And would you say Rosemary's Baby maybe even before The Exorcist? Or do you think that the Tate murders put that movie in a different category uh, all on its own? Well, bef- before I get to that, I mean, I think there's always been, uh, you know, uh, room for for these uh, sort of moral panics to exist even before the, the, the time we remember in the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. Um and there's a few really great movies that have come out over the years uh, that were pre-Satanic Panic but sort of dealt with the same themes of the Satanic Panic. Uh, one movie I really wanted to mention, uh, and I forgot to write about it in the notes, was a 1930s movie. It was a pre-code movie, I believe, uh, that Universal Studios did called The Black Cat. Edgar oh, G. Black Holmer's Cat, yeah. The Black Cat. That's an incredible movie, and it's one of the early movies. When you think of movies about Satanic cults, that's one of the early satanic cult horror movies with Bela Lugosi versus Boris Karloff. And I would highly recommend people watch it because it's weird watching pre-code horror. Is they're much more violent for their time than you would expect? And there's like weird elements of like subversive sexuality in movies. Was like that, that right after the Black Dahlia? I think so. Yeah, it, okay. it may have been. I think it was 1934, but. You know, there were there were always movies like The Black Cat that came out that sort of pushed the limits and sort of played into fears of, uh, you know, Satanists and occultists. There was an early uh, an early example is actually uh, a silent film that's very hard to find. I've seen it at a at a movie convention once, but um, it's called The Magician, and it's a silent film from the 20s, I believe, that's essentially sort of about Aleister Crowley. So, I mean, there's always been this sort of interest and fear of the occult, uh, but I think it really breaks out after The Exorcist, which people forget, you know, if you weren't alive in the 70s, you you have to watch documentaries on it. I mean, The Exorcist scared the bejesus out of people, even people that weren't, uh, you know, religious. And then Rosemary's Baby, I think, even more so in a lot of ways, because there is that cult element to it. 
And I think that really kickstarts, uh, you know, the the fear of Satan in the suburbs. You know, Satan mm-hmm. is going to corrupt our children. I mean, Rosemary's Baby also doesn't really take place in a suburb. I think most of it takes place in a city, right? Isn't it New York? Where... No, that's true. That's true. But and and also, again, I think the Tate murders does something to that film. And I think this is just my opinion. There's a lot of messaging, in my opinion, in Rosemary's Baby with women's liberation. Because every man is taking her, grabbing her by the hand, telling her things, you know, crazy woman, (laughs) nothing's wrong. Right. I I think there's some messaging in Rosemary's Baby that's that's pretty interesting. Um, I don't know what messaging is in The Exorcist. I think the messaging in The Exorcist is kind of obvious in a lot of ways. Um, I think William Friedkin, uh, God rest his soul, he was an incredible director, just passed away. I, I love William Friedkin, but the dude, I, th- I think it would be very hard to argue that he's not um, a rather conservative or even reactionary director. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if he were to take all his films together, sort of all his films taken together in a lot of ways gives you this idea of someone who sees the world as breaking apart at the seams, uh, you know, uh, in a state of moral decay. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's probably most notable with a movie like cruising with al pacino which you know uh, i know it's sort of gained a um an audience in the lgbtq community now but back then it was viewed as you know horribly homophobic it's basically uh al pacino going undercover uh to find a killer in the gay ass m district of i believe uh san francisco or it may have been new york um I, I, I think it's San Francisco. Yeah, I think it is. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that's also a good movie. It's kind of a quasi-horror movie. But, you know, th- the point is, Friedkin's movies, if you take them together, he sees the world being torn apart at the seams by occultism, homosexuality, drugs, and corruption. You know, I mean, that's how I've read him. I do think there's ambiguities where you can read his movies differently. But um, for what it's worth, I mean, Friedkin was kind of half open about being a conservative in any case the exorcist for me i mean this is a movie about a girl who plays with the ouija board you know she doesn't have a father figure her mom is off in hollywood right you know i i think there is that conservative thing of like oh what has happened to the american family why are these women getting jobs being career women instead of staying at home and taking care of the child you know, because there is an implication there that, oh, I'm, this is how Reagan came to be possessed. That's Reagan. How funny is that? Um, <laughs> I, I, do, I think that name's coincidental because of what it comes out in 73. Very much, yeah. Um, but a lot of the satanic panic that we know comes from this fear of women in the workforce not taking care of the kids, leaving the kids in these daycares um, where there's men there. That used to not be a big deal, men watching your children. And by the 80s, that is a, a big problem to the point where we don't even really see that many men teachers anymore at the primary level. Um, sorry about that. <laughs> I think when we talk about this whole era as well, we can't talk about it without mentioning Anton LaVey. And you had mentioned LaVey briefly in your notes, and you know well way more about him than than I do. 
And I think I played a benefit for the Church of Satan. It was a benefit for women's reproductive rights in like 2015. Um, we can't really mention this era without LeVay. Can you talk a little bit about Anton LeVay? Yeah, well, I mean, LeVay sort of has his own mythology that he creates in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the old legend that he conjured up was that he was actually in Rosemary's Baby as the devil. And that's all BS, you know, mm-hmm. but he was a carny. He was a carny and uh, I mean, he was a carny. He was a lot of things, but most of all, he was sort of a carny huckster. And I, I don't even mean that necessarily super insultingly. You know, I, I think he knew how to uh, get people's attention in Hollywood. He was very friendly with people like um, Sammy Davis Jr. So much so, in fact, that Sammy Davis Jr. ends up being in a uh, TV pilot that filled called Poor Devil, where mm-hmm. Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, is sent by Christopher Lee, who plays Lucifer, uh, to Earth uh, as a bubbling demon to collect souls. And that the, the pilot of the show actually has an ex- like uh, extensive mentions of the Church of Satan. And it's sort of a jokey, lighthearted affair. Uh, but that shows you the Church of Satan was really in the air at the time. Uh, people knew about it. it. It freaked out Christians. And uh, it was good for Hollywood in a weird way, right? Because mm-hmm. Anton LaVey was actually employed in a number of Hollywood movies, including the Universal Studios movie, The Car, with uh, James Berlin Ooh. about the possessed car. Yes. He actually served as uh, a technical advisor. Now, I don't know what exactly that means, but mm-hmm. uh, he also served on the Al Adamson Schlockfest, a very re-edited Schlockfest, Dr. Dracula, and a 1970s movie called Lucifer's Women. But the film that I think LeVay was most involved with, was, I mean, really technical slash creative advisor, I'm not sure he did much of anything. I think they just want to put his name on those because, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it's like, ooh, the mystique of yeah, it. Yeah, we're keeping it real. Mm-hmm. But he's in a little movie that Robert Feust, uh did, and I hope I'm not mispronouncing his name, Robert Feust, but he did a movie called The Devil's Reign. And The Devil's Reign is a 1970s satanic cult horror movie. Ernest with, Borgnine? Uh, Ernest Borgnine is yeah. the satanic cult leader. William <laughs> Shatner is in it. His yeah. face gets melted off. Tom Skerritt is in it. Great cast. Everyone is in this movie. And in the third act, you actually get to see Anton LaVey in a movie. He actually plays the high priest, and uh, or one of the high priests. And, you know, he served as technical advisor on it, and he actually has a cameo in it. Mm-hmm. So I, it's interesting because that wasn't the first time, the first connection between Robert Feust and... Uh, and Anton LaVey, the Vincent Price vehicles, the abominable Dr. Fives and Dr. Fives Rises Again also are influenced by LaVey. Uh, because in the abominable Dr. Fives movies, Dr. Fives is sort of this strange character who has uh, these mechanical uh, dolls that, that help him play music with him. Mm-hmm. You know, they're sort of his only friends. And Anton LaVey had this big thing about I forget, I, I'm blanking on what he actually called them, but he, he would always talk about creating artificial environments, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, where you would have, I mean, basically mannequins to interact with if you didn't want to be around people because you're such a misanthrope. I mean, LeVay <laughs> was a weird dude, right? Um, but anyways, you know, I think it's interesting that Robert Feust uh, based the Dr. Fives character in part on an aspect of LeVay. 
is I think it shows that people in Hollywood were really taken in by this character. You know, I mean, this is a dude who would walk around L.A., go up to kids and be like, oh, if you if you rub my magic ring, you can grant you can have a wish granted. Uh, I mean, he had a pet lion. I mean, this is this dude. Obviously, if you were in in, in San Francisco or if you're mm-hmm. just in California, of course, Hollywood would be would be attracted to this dude. And I think it's interesting because in a weird way, uh, LeVay and also others like uh, the former military official Michael Aquino, uh, who started the he was in the Church of Satan, but then went into the Temple of Set. Aquino also does uh, advising on ritual scenes for a little scene uh, drive-in fodder movie directed by the late William Girdler called Asylum of Satan. Uh, but there were all these, there were people like LeVay and Aquino doing all these movie appearances. There was a whole documentary called Satanus, the Devil's Mass and Witchcraft 70 that featured LeVay. And he really sort of captures the imagination of Hollywood. Uh, and it's interesting because at the time, I think a lot of this was treated as very jokey, right? Uh, you have the movie, uh, that, that TV uh, pilot I mentioned, uh, Poor Devil, which actually makes reference to the Church of Satan, right? Oh, God, and you the, devil. Remember those old movies? What's that? Oh, God, you devil. Are you old enough to remember those? The oh, yeah, movies? yeah, the Oh, God, you devil films. Well, <laughs> yeah. my favorite of these is, uh, I mean, it's a trashy drive-in film, but uh, Satan's Cheerleaders, in which uh, <laughs> they, they get abducted by, like, Yvonne DiCarlo and mm-hmm. uh, John Ireland. It's a cult mm-hmm. led by fucking Lily Munster. And, uh, you know, uh, John Ireland and these cheerleaders end up having to fight the Satanists. But it's, a, it's very much a horror comedy. And it's interesting because in the 70s, I think you could do that more. Um, in a weird way, I think the 80s, you know, is when fears about the, the satanic uh, forces in our society in the suburbs or in the city – I think it gets more self-serious in the 80s. I don't know if you agree with that. But. Yeah, I, I think you have this thing called the PG-13 rating uh, mm-hmm. that I didn't realize came out in 1984. Mm-hmm. So before 84, we don't have a PG-13 rating. Watch a PG movie before 1984. Right. You'll hear curse words and see a boob. Right. Uh, Smokey and the Bandit Part 3. Is, it, is that PG? It's PG, but it has boobies in it. Oh, dude, your PG movies before 84 had boobs. And... I always tell people a, a movie like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I mean, they, they were considering giving a PG rating originally when it came out. There's like no you, blood. You don't it. see any violence in it. No, it's you all know, but it's, I think it would have gotten a PG-13 had a PG-13 existed back then. Some, somebody, Michael Ray, shout out to Michael Ray because he knows. Thanks, Temple of Doom, because that's actually the movie that does it. Spielberg is catching so much heat because now he's the – guy that does kid movies because of the massive success of et that he he and this is what i find interesting too he says well let's get let's make a rating that lets parents know that it's safe for kids of a certain age because you know there's the chest ripping scene golima in uh in temple of doom and uh we start to get the PG-13 rating. And I think things really change with the PG-13 rating. That doesn't mean there's not good movies during that time because uh, Night of the Comet, one of my favorite horror movies to watch at Christmas. Oh, no doubt. That's a Christmas movie for me, Night of the Comet. Um, but I mean, do you think it was just the PG-13 rating being created? Or do you think there's also an element of 
you know, people are getting more and more freaked out about the idea of, you know, hidden Satanists amongst us. Well, let's let's look. We have to remember. I'm actually reading a really good book that I can't remember the name of because <laughs> I bought it. I had to get it digitally. Um, and it and I'm in the chapter right now where it's talking about Michelle remembers. And there's a documentary coming out. I believe it's going to be on Tubi this winter called um, We Want Satan or something like that. I forget the name of it. But it talks a lot about Michelle Remembers. And that's the book um, where this woman, this doctor, she sees every day, a therapist every day. Um, unbeknownst to the public, they formed a relationship. And the doctor is telling her that she's got all these repressed memories that come out during their hypnosis sessions. This book is also very similar to another book that was way popular before this, which was Sybil. Also a similar situation where the doctor and the, the subject had a relationship. Um, and Michelle remembers this woman saying that she was sold as like a five-year-old to a satanic cult. Yeah, there, there's like scenes in it where she's – uh, getting back her repressed memories under hypnosis and oh, claiming yeah. that she was levitating in the air by the demons and all eating it's a weird feces, ritual sacrifices of animals and children and women. And she just was there for all of it. And then it was 14 months of being with the cult and then like sold her back. <laughs> and for quite some time, these people made the rounds on talk shows and she told her story, her tale, first-hand account of satanic cults. And it's not soon after. I mean, there's also some bills that pass in the 70s as well. I think we talked a little bit about this on the Satanic Panic show, that there's there's a movement of second-wave feminism that's like victims' rights. <clears throat> and um, not Walter Mondale. Who ran against Reagan the second time? Was it Walter Mondale? I'm blanking. No, Michael Dukakis. Yeah, had Dukakis, a, had, yeah. A, had a um had some legislation um about about victims' rights. And if you start going, you know, even further back, you know, we we didn't really have anything for abused children like CPS and all this stuff. That's relatively new when when kids were getting abused. So a lot of these organizations getting more funding dollars, being bigger, kids getting left at home, movies like The Exorcist, <laughs> Michelle remembers being a man. And by the way, not not just not just movies like The Exorcist, the fear of possession that we get from The Exorcist, but also, I mean, you mentioned Rosemary's Baby and tried to make the um mm -hmm. the Manson connection. I think there were a lot of I mean, even right after the Manson family murders, there were movies coming out about the Manson family immediately after. Mm -hmm. Like really ridiculous exploitation movies. I think there's even one with um, Russ Meyer's favorite big boobed actress, uh, Ushi Degard, where she plays a member of the Manson family, some 70s exploitation movie. Uh, and then you had the Jeffrey McDonald case, um, which was this, uh, you know, highly lauded military, you know, guy. He was a doctor. Um, and in the 70s, he's at this military base and his family's with him. And his family gets murdered one night. And he claims that it was a cult of evil satanic hippies that <laughs> broke into his house. And uh, famously, Earl Morris is obsessed with this case. 
this case is the reason we have the Innocence Project, actually. Mm. Uh, and there's a movie, there's a book and movie that come out uh, by a journalist. I'm blanking on his name right now. Uh, it's that journalist that wrote uh, the the Rogue Leader book about um, Sarah Palin. Uh, Joe something. Joe McInnes, I think, was his name. <laughs> but uh, he writes, a, he does a reporting on Jeffrey McDonald uh, with a book called Fatal Vision eventually coming out. And, mm. you know, he basically is of the view that McDonald did it. And I am, too. And there's one reason for it. McDonald mm. has this elaborate story about these satanic hippies coming in. And one of the satanic hippie women was yelling, acid is groovy. Kill the pigs. Acid, and I'm like, that's so ridiculous. I just don't see this happening. But to this day, there are people like Earl Morris that just can't believe a respected man like Jeffrey McDonald would commit those murders. So it must have been some outside influence. Maybe it was this hippie cult. <laughs> see, what happens we, see what happens when we smoke on air? That's true. I need to stop. But uh, anyways, what's what's really interesting is one of the people deeply involved in the Jeffrey McDonald case over the years mm. is this former FBI agent known as Ted Gunderson, who worked out of L.A. And Ted mm. Gunderson is on all the Satanic Panic specials. I think he's on the Geraldo special. Ooh. He's one of the main people that pushed all this Satanic Panic stuff, including the McMartin Preschool case. If you talk to people oh, no. uh, that knew about the McMartin Preschool case or were involved, people like uh, hates. Ted Gunders, this former mm. FBI agent, because he would come in on all these different cases and be like, yep, it was witches on broomsticks. These these evil Satanists, they're everywhere. <laughs> you know, uh, there's even a there's a great episode of um, Disinfo TV, the Richard Metzger show from the 2000s, where uh, they do a whole segment with Ted Gunderson. And he's claiming, look, there's a note on my windshield. Look, it has the symbol of the, the devil horns. Uh, but this dude went around grifting everywhere in the 80s, like pushing satanic panic stuff. Uh, this former FBI agent, he even uh, sticks around for a long time and tries to get involved in the uh, David Carradine case, you know, and says, oh, it was actually a, a secret society and a cult of Thai trans hookers, you know. Whoa. Yeah, that comes from Ted Gunderson. And Ted Gunderson really helps uh, tie together the sort of, uh, you know, fear of Manson family cults and the, the sort of devil aspect of it all. Tie as in the ethnicity tie, the nationality yes. tie? Yes. Okay. But he, he's always around for all of this. I forget when he passed away. He's a horrible right-wing ideologue. Can you um, imagine, like, the the guy walking onto the, the crime scene, like in right. those 80s movies? Right. Oh, no, here comes Ted. <laughs> he's right, a loose yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but but it, it's this interesting. This is the work of Ty Hookers. Right, right. It's like it's like the scene in um Point Break. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, I know you think it's the surfers again. It's the, it's. The... Well, we we I look mean, at the feet prints. Right. I mean, we 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 joke about it, but what's scary is guys like this were on daytime TV, scaring the yes, crap out of parents, scaring the bejesus out of everyone's parent, and th there's things that are kind of just coincidentally working all in concert with one another right so you have well you have a, the manson family first then you have movies like the exorcist and then it snowballs from there is sort of what i was trying to get at and you also have a, a moral conservatism coming out of right. california that happens during the manson 60s right 
because Reagan becomes governor. And by the time he's president, there's a few things that are happening, you know, in the zeitgeist of the youth. You have like a burgeoning hip hop scene and punk and metal scene. And all these scenes kind of share the same iconography for a while, right? Spikes and chains and violence is how they're looked at. Even though when you like listen to the music, they're just trying to have a good time. Pretty much all of it. Um, And I think all those things work together. And then heavy metal to me goes over the top because it's all about demons and witches and, and, and elves and fairies. Heavy metal and Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, we cannot forget Dungeons because Dungeons and Dragons becomes, hey, this is why the kid killed himself. I was reading before we started the show. I yeah, I forget reading. the name of that case, but uh, I think it helped inspire that early Tom, Tom Hanks, Hanks movie. Tom uh, Hanks Mason in that Monsters. movie. That was his first uh, starring role, I believe. Not his only Satanic Panic movie, but we'll get to that later. Oh, the one in the 80s, The Fun House? No, Tom Hanks. Uh, oh, The Birds. The Birds. The Birds. The Birds. Is a perfect movie up until the ending where they like justify all the Karenisms in it. Um, we're gonna talk about that. Let's talk about Trick or Treat. So Trick or Treat is a 1986 movie that is made for young Jason. Uh, it's starring Skippy Handelman. I don't know his real name. I think his real name is Mark Price. That doesn't matter. His name is Skippy Handelman. That was his character on Family Ties. He was the nerdy love interest of Justine Bateman. And in this movie. Um, he's supposed to be a headbanger that's in love with a heavy metal guy named Sammy Kerr. Now, when I heard about how this movie came to be, JG, I laughed my ass off. Apparently, Dito Laren, what, how do you Dino say? Dino De Laurentiis. Who, D- D- Dino De Laurentiis. As soon as I saw his name on this movie, I was like, I'm going to enjoy this. I actually, <laughs> he goes. No, he, he did, that, his... he did that 70s King Kong movie, which is underrated. And he also did our favorite Amityville movie, the best one, Amityville 2. You know? he, who also has Diane Franklin in it. Right? Shout out to Diane. Um, so he goes and sees Freddy Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. And he goes to, to two writers like, hey, want you to write me a movie? I want, I want a movie with a guy with a pumpkin on his head. He goes around killing people on Halloween, call it Trick or Treat. Trick or Treats movie. I need it out by October 24th. Thank you. And then he walks away. And these guys are like, I don't know if we can write a movie about a slasher guy with a pumpkin on his head killing people. And then they kind of work in the the, the moral panic and they work in the music and, and all that other good stuff. And they get the movie. Um, everybody's happy with it. Uh, but apparently heavy metal singers that they wanted to play the, the lead role of the star Sammy Kerr didn't want to do it because the two huge names in it, Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne have very, very small roles in it. Right. And, I, it's weird because Ozzy is credited as a special appearance, but it feels, it almost feels like he's in it more than the other guy, Gene Simmons from kiss because you see him at least twice in the movie. You only seen yeah. Gene in that one scene, you know? And and Gene Simmons is is actually a really good actor in yeah. the horror movies. If you want to see Gene, if you want to see like good heavy metal acting, Gene Simmons as the hermaphrodite bad guy. Never, you know, no, never too young to die. Never too young to die. John Stamos <laughs> and Vanity. <laughs> Vanity, John Stamos as a young James Bond, and Gene Simmons as a hermaphrodite bad guy that's trying to poison the city's water, Ragnar. 
Never too young to die. He's and Gene Simmons in uh, Runaway. Yeah, He's Runaway. Tom Selleck. With, yeah, with yeah, Tom yeah. Selleck. Great in that movie. Um, but the movie is about this kid gets a record from Gene Simmons. Gene Simmons says, hey, I know you're a big fan of this guy who happens to be from our town. And the singer. And this guy that, just died. Sammy he just, Kirk just he passed dies. away in a fire. You know. He mysteriously dies, right? And um, so Skippy Handelman's character, sorry, Mark Price's character, <laughs> gets the um, gets the record. And I get this and the, and the gate confused because I couldn't watch this, JG. It's not on any streaming services. They pulled it. You, you know what's interesting? Real quick, we should mention too. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's. I think Synapsis is coming out with it, but this is getting a 4K remaster. I saw that. I saw it's getting a remaster, but they so is that why they pulled it from all the streaming services? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of rights issues with it over the years because of the music in it. Yeah, the music is done by a band called Fastway. I played a small clip of that movie because I felt like the intro to that movie is so cool because you see Mark Price's character's room and he's got the coolest posters <laughs> <laughs> I was like, dude, I totally want that room. And I, I think we played it as a clip for a show and, and YouTube pulled the whole video down for a 10 second clip of a Fastway song. That's in wow. the beginning of that. And Fastway singer later forms flogging Molly. Oh, really? I did not know that. I found that out today. Um, But the character gets this record, and I and I forget, JG. Does he? Does the record just sound like it's backwards, and he has to play it backwards to hear what it says? Is that this yes. one the game? Okay, yeah, so yeah. He, he can't understand it first. Then he plays it backwards, and he realizes it's Sammy Kerr communicating. But that that right there made me laugh so hard because I couldn't remember if that was that or the gate because I remember the, the two movies do that. Um, but to get the whole backwards messaging thing that wrong. <laughs> the record itself is backwards <laughs> and he's got to like if you if you got a record from your favorite person and you put it on the player and it sounds like rah, 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 you'd be like this is broken <laughs> or you yeah, throw it true. away i would not think oh i'm going to play it backwards and get the messages and what's funny about that not funny but sad around the same time 1985 there's three big trials and i think judas priest's trial ends in 90 but there's three yeah the judas priest trial is insane with the two uh the two young men committed suicide listening they were were like working at a gas station right and the parents were like they killed themselves because they listened to judas they listened to judas priest mask mask it they wanted to kill everyone you know ozzy osbourne also ozzy osbourne had two cases thrown at him for suicide i didn't know that wow yes he had two cases in 85 that one was thrown out um for the same thing for his song suicide solution and if you go back and watch Decline of a Western Civilization, the Metal Years, there's a whole section of the movie where they go to a place that, excuse me, quote unquote, demetals your kid, right? Because metal music is borderline pop music. It's selling tons of copies at this time. This is before even the, the PMSA is putting uh, labels on stuff. And that imagery for the you know, albums like Shout at the Devil, you know, <laughs> Venom, uh, it was like every the first, you know, Motley Crue record, that live wire video with just the skull. Like, that's all I needed. <laughs> it was like the, the, the skull. It was like, I had so cool. Um, it's, it's interesting to me that 
the fear is in the music. Like that's what's making our kids go astray. It's not the world around them. <laughs> it's not the reality that the factory job that their dad had that one income that could support a family of four buy a house and we can go on vacations. Like it's not that that is dwindling in front of them. You know, college now costs money. It didn't when we went to school. It's that heavy metal music is what's doing it. You know, I found I found that interesting because I I think it was even worse than what you get with their parents and, and rock and roll. Like the the key to juvenile delinquency is Elvis's Presley's hips, right? Right. You know that was just gonna get you a, a baby at fifteen, but Metallica is gonna get you a one way ticket to hell, and you know maybe a prison sentence. And and I don't think we we talk about you know th- that that enough when we talk about this moment. And also when you look at the character, um, of even Marty McFly in uh in back to the future and i do f- find some similarities in these two characters because they're kind of uh kids that are going nowhere right and there's really no opportunity for them if you right. if you go back and watch back to the future there's really nothing for marty mcfly his siblings all still live at home his brother's working a fast food job and his father is kind of a lackey right and my good friend Michael Harris has got a book coming out. Finally, his book is coming out. He talks about it in his, in his upcoming book, but he says Back to the Future is all about protecting middle class security. Remember how horrible Hill Valley looks before he fixes everything. And when you think about Mark Price's character, and you know he's not going anywhere. He's kind of a loser. School schmool. What is he? What are you gonna do with your life? I mean, you know what always shocks me with this movie? I know it's like kind of funny now, uh, because it's so over the top. But the way the way he gets treated in the first act of the movie. <laughs> no, I, I was like, I remember when I first saw it, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can watch. It. I get I get embarrassed for the main character, you know, so much in that opening. I'm like, oh no, don't do that to him. Yeah, I mean, that's what's weird about it. I mean, in a weird way, I guess it is one of those movies saying, oh, heavy metal is corrupting the kids. Mm-hmm. But like, really, the heart of his issues is that. You know, I mean, he's just kind of a a teenage outsider. And, I mean, the people around him are just really mean to him, except for the one girl who we'll get into later, I guess. Um, the girl from uh, Hellraiser. No, I don't think – no, it's not – it's not um, – That's not the daughter from Hellraiser? No, 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 no. Dude, are you – Ashley what? Lawrence is not – yeah, that's not Ashley Someone Lawrence. double-check this. Is the girl from Trick or Treat 1986 movie – the same woman, the same young girl from Hellraiser. I say yes. JG says no. You guys tell us. There's someone in the chat that will tell us the truth. I, I looked this up last night. It's Lisa Orgolini. Who I is, got a Lisa is, Orgolini. She's in a bunch of movies after this, but she never has another like lead female role. That's not the same person? No. I think you're making this up. Are you effing I'm with me? I'm not making it up. Ash, Ashley Lawrence isn't in it. She does look like her, though. Exactly like her. She even makes that same face when she's scared. Right? Right? Oh. I was reminded of Hellraiser while watching this, actually, because I remember the scene where they're uh, running down the stairs, running away from, uh, you know, Sammy Kerr. Yeah. uh, After he's been electrocuted or whatever. No spoilers. I won't go any further than that. Look, uh, you know the rule. 
if it's over three over months 40, old, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're getting spoilers. But I remember when they're running down the stairs, it reminded me of when Ashley Lawrence runs down the stairs near the end of uh, Hellraiser trying to escape person. her house. It's yeah, yeah. be the same person. It's a do- or it's a doppelganger. Is it like Humpty Hump and Shock G? You never saw him at the same place <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> well, look, that that the first act of that movie, you're right. It, it It's almost two different movies. Yeah. And and apparently, ah, oh, Dead Whiskey says no Hellraiser credit. Okay, JG, you win. I will accept defeat. I will accept defeat. Um, yeah, yeah, real quick, what yeah. always gets me, by the way, in that first act, I mean, I know that the swimming pool stuff where he gets pushed into the pool during the pool party, that's sort of what drives him over the edge. But for me, the worst is when they, like, you know, take his record and then throw it out into the the gym where the girls are and he's yeah. like buck naked trying to get back the record and all the girls are like laughing at him taking the picture i'm like oh my god that's so cruel <laughs> some of those 80s movies are the cruelest things toxic avenger like, yeah how do you think not even when they go hitting people for points i'm talking about what they did to melvin like jesus christ revenge of the nerds right um, the cruelty in the minds of, of boomers is oof, next level. I think that's why so many people remember the movie, though. Is it, I mean, I, I think a lot of people that like Trick or Treat or remember it, and there's more and more people that remember it now. Um, you know, I, I think you really end up relating to Ragman. You, you, you know, if you were ever an outsider growing yeah. up in any way, you're like, oh, I get him. I get him. You know, and that's for me. That's actually why the movie works so well as a cult classic. I think he was able to play that role really well because that's the role. It's very similar to the role that he played on Family Ties, as Skippy Handelman, the kind of lovelorn neighbor that couldn't uh, get with uh, Mallory because she was with her own ragman and and Nick. Ayo, Mallory, and um. That that's kind of what they wanted to do with that with the first half of the movie, and then they wanted the second half of the movie. That, the way they were able to sell it was we're gonna have a guy come back from the dead and, and uh, hit people, kill people with guitar lasers. He's gonna have lasers shoot out of his guitar. Sammy Kerr and Laurentis was like, that sounds like a winner. Right. And so, <laughs> I, by the way, I, I, before we forget, I love how you said that the, I didn't know that no metal musicians wanted to play. Yeah. The Sammy Kerr character, the evil rock star. Yeah. They actually got a guy that isn't known for music at all. He's no. a dancing guy. Yes. Yes, he's Tony a dancer. Fields. Yeah. So what? Again, when you watch that movie again and you and you know he's a dancer, you're like that's why he moves like that. Because <laughs> there's no singer on the planet that is moving like that. He says one of the the great things about that they did a photo shoot him, Ozzy, and and Gene Simmons. And he said that Gene Simmons and Ozzy said, hey, your look is legit. Like you pulled it off the the rock thing. And he was like so proud that they told him he was holding a guitar properly and everything. Um, but the whole the second half of that movie is supposed to be the kid letting the genie out of the bottle and trying to put it back in. And I think that's another reason why you feel bad for him, because he just the first part of it is the the Sammy Kerr character who he's kind of living through is helping him confront these bullies. He's giving him the strength to confront these bullies. And 
apparently what they wanted to do was talk about a uh, hero worship and why it's problematic. And I was like, Oh, I didn't really think about that. I mean, I definitely do my fair share of talking about hero worship and why. I, I think that that really comes through with the scene with Gene Simmons, nuke the radio DJ. Yeah. He's like, the, you know, he says to, uh, you know, Mark Price's character, you know, Sammy wasn't a God. He was a very angry man. And you know, the kid is just like, no, I know Sammy. I've listened to all mm -hmm. his records. In a weird way, it becomes a comment on, you know, consumerism and parasocial relationships. <laughs> I mean, what is you look? You and I talk about this stuff a bit on our shows. What is your take about the contemporary state of a left that comes out of mass consumerism? That's kind of just—it just is what we are. I and mean, hero worship. I, I, well, I think it's really bad, but I, I mean, I also think it's kind of unavoidable. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's sort of the society we live in. We sort of define, unfortunately, we define ourselves by the things we consume, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's true. Like, I, I think we do that with the left, too. Everyone has their sort of personality cults that they sort of follow, right? Mm -hmm. Um I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if I have more to add to that right now. If you want to add more, I, I mean, I find it. I find it interesting that you know, I wrote. I wrote this piece that people were not the biggest fans of about Cornell West, and it wasn't about Cornell West the man. It was more about kind of the hype around him, the image, <clears throat> yeah, around him running for for office. And uh, and recently I was a guest on Ben Burgess's show and our good friend Norm Finkelstein was on. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll preface by saying I am friends with Norm Finkelstein in real life. When I go to New York, I fucking see Norm and stuff like that. So he was kind of waxing a little too poetic of, of Cornell. And I had made a joke. He was, was like, Cornell goes on every show, no matter the size. And I was like, yeah, now. <laughs> it's like he wasn't before. Um, you know, we, we got stiff-armed. And I won't get in too deep into the details, but, you know, we got stiff-armed. And we were doing stuff for a bigger channel. And, again, I don't think he's a bad dude. I hope I would, it would be a wonderful world if 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 he got to be... Uh, president right everything would be a little bit better but just the the hype and fanfare around him it was like well this is a personality i can get behind and i felt like well there's there's a lot of similarities between him and, and trump in the sense of neither one of these people has ever held political office and we're not talking about politics anymore we're just talking about popularity and those things don't always correlate like they're very very different like the way things work and the way things run Oh, you know, and I was like, I, I, do we have to get this excited? And he was running this. I wrote it at the time when he was with that one party. I can't think of the name of the party. Uh, the people is it the people's party. I think he started with the people's party. Yeah, the, now it's the people's party. Green party, right? Yeah, now he's with the green party. So, you know, again, I don't have anything against the man, but it was just that kind of fanfare around him. That made me go like, what are we 
do we need heroes that bad? And and that's and and when you watch a movie like Trick or Treat, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people that voted for Trump they probably felt like Mark Price's character. Like, why can't we put the genie back in the bottle? <laughs> and then you get January sixth. But did you want to add anything to that? No, I think that's actually a really good point. I mean, we really do have a celebrity culture. I mean, I I remember. Um, you know, Martin Sheen came to my uh, my uh, college, uh, the the Catholic college I was at. I didn't get to meet him, but everyone was just talking about him, like, "Oh, this is the greatest thing ever." And I'm like, "I like Martin Sheen, but I would, if I were to meet Martin Sheen, I would just be like, thank you for your activism.' You know, like yeah. I just, in a way, I maybe it's because I've met so many actors over the years, but mm -hmm. to me, they're just like they're people like the rest of us, and it's it's weird because most of them are appreciative when you. I mean, the actors I've met are more appreciative of being treated that way than being treated like, you know, some out of this world character, you know, that's like worshipped by the masses. But, you know, I, I think it becomes an issue when we get too caught up in, you know, singular personalities, um, especially politically, because, you know, one person alone does not build a village. Do not tell that to people that told me to go fuck myself after I wrote that piece. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that many people told me to go. Enough. Enough. But um, I, I do think that's what makes Trick or Treat for me a, a very, very fun watch. Because you see, we've all had, there's, there's someone in our, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you are. There's someone in your life that when you would see them, probably on TV or something, you got so excited. And when you see the look in Mark Price's eye, when the Sammy Kerr character is doing that speech in front of Congress, they're they're redoing the PMRC uh, trials. And well, actually, I think they did speak in front of Congress, didn't they? Didn't uh, Frank Zappa speak in front of Congress? Not just yeah, yeah. I think D. Snyder may have too, right? Yeah, D. Snyder definitely did as well. Um, you know, his 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 claim to fame. He loves talking about that, and. For a lot of people, they were like, yeah, you're going to stick it to the man. And they lost. Ultimately, the musicians lost what they didn't want. They didn't want the labels. You may hear some talk about, in hindsight, like, oh, yeah, we always wanted it. No, everybody was afraid of it. That's why so many artists didn't want to get tarnished with being a Satanist. Because, again, Ozzy got sued. Judas Priest thought they were over. And just to give you an idea of how expensive that trial was for them, their record label had to hire lawyers right. and pay for them somewhere to stay. And they're what, four or five records in playing arenas at this time? And they thought it was all going to be over, over that trial. There was a strong push from the Christian right, which was extremely powerful at the time. In, yeah, in, people like uh, – if people want to learn more about this, I mean, just Google Jesse Helms. Whoo! Very, very powerful at this time. And this was the menace. And the, the one piece of – I don't even want to say it was legislation, but the one thing they were able to make happen was the parental advisory sticker. And also, we, we can't just – we can't leave her out. 
you know, people like Tipper Gore played a big role in all of this, too. Ooh, massive role. She is the face of the PMRC to this day. And she wasn't even the only senator's wife on it. It was all senators' wives. Mm-hmm. Maybe because Al becomes vice president. But um, her name was synonymous with censorship in the 80s. I, th- I think the hook and mouth in Megadeth mentions Tipper Gore. If they don't mention her name by name, they definitely mention the PMRC in the hook of that song, Hook and Mouth. Um, because people were so, in the metal community, they really felt the assault. And then in the 90s, late 80s and 90s, you get it. In the hip-hop community, because by the time Too Loud Crew comes out, they're like, this is too much. Every song is just it's just dick, 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 dick. There's <laughs> too many dicks. Like, what does Tipper Gore say now about Sexy Red? I, I think that's a really important uh, point to drive home because we can watch a movie like Trick or Treat now mm-hmm. and it's sort of fun and enjoyable. But like I do think there's a serious issue with moral panics like the satanic panic. Um, you know, I, I mentioned Anton LaVey earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I find interesting about LaVey and not very laudable about him is that LaVey really played into this image and he, you know, he liked you know, being the center of attention. But when the satanic panic happened, he wasn't really there to fend off, you know, all the sensational uh, reporting on it, right? Mm-hmm. He actually left that to people like um, his daughter, uh, Zena LeVay, and also the aforementioned, I mentioned him earlier, uh, Michael Aquino. And, you know, I'm not really big fans of people from the sort of uh, Church of Satan, Temple of Set subculture because if you really look at their politics a lot of the times mm-hmm. what's interesting is a lot of them are very far right ideologically um and in a way i think the satanic panic ends up uh diverting our attention away from that kind mm-hmm. of that's the real problem i think with satanism is i mean most people who define themselves as satanists uh have like close to or actually fascist uh politics mm-hmm. uh, people like quino in particular um but there really were people that suffered because of the satanic panic. I mean, if you were a kid that was into like Wicca or something, even in the nineties, you know, the West if, Memphis if you were 3. in the Bible belt, yeah, yeah. West Memphis three. I mean, a lot of people suffered for it and people like LeVay weren't there to really put a stop to it. They didn't fight back. You know, LeVay was like, I'm happy with the image I got, you know, I'm happy with the attention yeah. I get, you know, I ain't which fighting is, this fight for these people. Which is really sad because then that music, I mean, and when the West Memphis three get caught up, it's like what, 94, 95. Right. Maybe even a little after that. You, We think that stuff is over, but there's still the imagery from the music for some people. Even though the music they were listening to, which I think is funny, wasn't even really all that Satanist bad. Like Marilyn Manson, I don't think, ever really talks about the devil. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what what's interesting is it kind of continues into the 90s. People forget about that. You mm-hmm. know, because you had, you had these... Uh, televangelist preacher types uh like bob larson who had a really famous radio show he's now known as like the television exorcist he had a whole show on sci-fi but in the 90s bob larson just sold this stuff he would be interviewing satanists and he's like look how evil all of this is uh you know and even metal musicians would call into his show uh famously the guy from dsi would call it by a demon and i mean it's all funny stuff you can make fun of all of it right but like some of this, you know, evangelical grifting did have real consequences for real people. 
you know, which is the, I mean, that's the scary aspect of it all. It's sort of like what I tell people, you know, I've always been a fan of like trash talk show TV. Oh, you know, so stuff like Wally George um, and even Morton Downey Jr. But I think you had pointed this out to me before. Mm -hmm. There is like a really dangerous aspect to stuff like Morton Downey Jr. Morton Downey Jr. is so far right. He's so far right. And, And these are the things that we never ask ourselves. How does this man that is that far to the right, how is he able to have such an audience filled with young people? It's because if you're anti-government, people will listen. There's a reason why so many hippies got on the right-wing train in the 80s. As these people move out to the suburbs, they're now commuting to work, to the office, and they listen to the news radio. No, News radio didn't come on back then and say the best right-wing conservative talk Fuck your liberal parents' radio. That's not how that shit came on. It was just news radio. And when you heard those voices that were so anti the establishment, i.e. Rush Limbaugh, that sounds like the rebel rousers that you heard back in the day. Yeah, no doubt. And some of these people actually kind of had careers in Hollywood. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. Wally George is in one of the Nightmare on Elm Street films, I believe the mm-hmm. fourth one. And uh, Morton Downey Jr. did a number of movies. I mean, I think he's in Tales from the Crypt. He's in the whole yeah, episode of the, Tales from the Crypt. As him, Tales yeah. from the Crypt. You know where he makes fun of his own persona. Uh, he's in Predator too. As that oh, evil I forgot journalist about Tony that. Pope, yeah. who Danny Glover is like, screw you, boom, punches him. You know, and it, it's weird because I've always taken Downey Jr. as someone who was kind of like a self-conscious con man. He's like playing a character, but I mean, it's I mean, what he created was very bad. Yeah, and you know who he grew up with. And the you know yeah. who he grew up with, right? No, the Kennedys. No. Oh, really? Huh. Morton Downey is the son of a famous singer. I know that. Yeah, yeah. And he tried his hand in singing, and he wasn't as good as his dad. But he was very good friends with the Kennedys, hmm. and like that's who we spent summers with. Those were his homies. He was a Democrat, and I forget how he makes the political turn. Um. And his show, he's almost somewhat apolitical on his show. He doesn't really say he's a Democrat or a Republican. Again, if you watch the show, and there's a handful of episodes you can find online, there's Republican political figures that come on the show. And he is to the right of these people because it's all about conservative moralism. And some of some of these people that worked in in uh, in Republican government weren't necessarily moralists. Not everybody. Right. And and when Downey comes in, he's like, "No, dude, this is this is a moral issue, and you're part of the man." And you hear everybody just cheering along, and it's insane when you think about it. You know how far right and how far right everyone listening to him was. Kind of how far right we were as a country. No, it's. I, I was going to say in that regard. I mean, people forget some of the people who promoted the Satanic Panic. You wouldn't associate them with it if you didn't know about the whole history. You know, everyone on daytime talk shows was talking about this, including Oprah. Oprah was a big supporter of this. Oprah I mean, had. Oprah, Oprah, Oprah had. Um, what was the book we just mentioned? I just forgot the name. Michelle remembers. Michelle remembers. Yeah, she also she had people on the show. Yeah, she even had a dude by the name of uh, a guy who went by the name of Doc Marquis, and uh, Doc Not Marquis Martin. is sort of this John. Todd characters. So there's all these figures in the 70s and 80s that come out saying, I was a part of the Illuminati and the oh, satanic awesome. witch cabals that run the earth. 
And these people like him got exposure on Oprah. You know, they were experts. Right. These they people were, yeah, were coming they on as experts. Yeah. And and you know, Oprah, really, really, tell me more. That's what. That's how insane. Like like when you look at the transcripts. For I was reading again before we got to the show, I was reading some of the court paperwork. I meant to send this to you for one of the Ozzy cases that he had. And they start mentioning the lyrics of the song. And you go, how can you even think someone could hear that and be like, you know what I need to do? I need to shoot my brains out. Right. And even the Judas Priest thing. I think the most common clip you might see if you watch, a, a, if you don't want to watch the whole trial, they can last a couple months. The do it thing. There's other things that they claim that Judas Priest says in this record. And when you look at the band, they just look shell shocked because they're like, it's such a weird thing, right? Because yeah. you're like, why would this band who is getting all the groupies in the world, they're getting all the sex in the world, making tons of money. But you're telling me they want to kill their their entire audience. They're going to kill the Golden Goose. <laughs> I mean. But I guess that's part of the satanic conspiracy. If you're a Satanist, <laughs> Judas Priest, rock and roll Arola, Judas Priest, looks like broke pimps. Stained class Judas Priest, you know, British steel Judas Priest, are, are leather boys in the in – the, In San Francisco, right? They're Folsom Street leather boys by the time you get to British Steel Judas Priest. Um, but that's not what people think of when they think of that imagery. They think, oh, these guys are evil and satanic. You know, Ronnie James Dio was never in these trials, and his album covers were kind of the most awesome <laughs> in the world when it comes to like scary demon album covers. And it's it, again. It's it's like fascinating to me to think that we we went that far right kind of as a country. And there's all there's a lot of things going on, right? You got this deindustrial league, got jobs moving overseas, um, poverty is growing, crime. There's there's violence everywhere, and the solution is just lock people up. And here we are, forty some years later, and. I just watched a press conference that was done in Oakland because there's so many car break-ins and there's, there's a fair amount of car break-ins in, in the San Francisco Bay area. I guess San Francisco per capita is the number one place for car break-ins in the country. Um, and they just arrested a bunch of people that were part of a ring, a car theft ring. This press conference wouldn't have happened three years ago. Right. And now we're applauding the police doing their job. Did we ever move to the left, JG? <laughs> I mean, if you ask me, I don't think we did. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it just a figment of, of, my, of my imagination? <laughs> and, and this press conference was shared, you know, on a, on a black network or former black network from Oakland. Oh, really? Yeah, they wow. were like, hey, and it was like a right on thing. It wasn't like, oh, no, they're overstepping the bounds. It was like, no, right on, right on. So it, I find all these things fascinating, these moral panics. And you got into it with deeper with these moral panics. This is not just movies like Trick or Treat. 
you actually pointed to Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, as a response to a moral panic around homosexuality. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, it's weird because people will say, I never thought of that when watching the movie. And I didn't think of it when I saw it when I was younger. But you watch it now, it's like the gym coach in it literally goes to a gay S&M bar in the movie. Uh, yes. I mean, and, and just, guys with balls. He yeah, well, there, there's also balls. that scene where, uh, you know, the, the main kid, Mark Patton's character, mm-hmm. is uh, alone in the room with uh, the other, I guess they're baseball players, right? They're on a baseball team together. I think. No, they're just, they're just at high school. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. I think that was just but, PE. Yeah, they're just playing. PE. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. But he he's with his other uh, friend or frenemy uh, yeah. from that class. And his friend is like, why are you with me when you could be with the girl of your dreams? You know, like the, the homosexual subtext is obviously there. And it, the whole ending of the movie is basically, oh, a good woman saves him. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious what's going on there, you know. I um, never thought of that. A good woman saves him. There's a scene in that movie. Me and Ben rewatched it. Me and Ben Burgess rewatched it here at my house, and we died like like there was tears coming out of our eyes laughing. Um, there's a scene where he's about to have sex with his girlfriend, and he he goes. And I think he yells. I think his friend's name is like Grady or something. He's like, I gotta go see Grady. Like he's right yeah, about Grady. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he runs. He runs out of the room. And the whole thing is the girl wants to have sex with him in the movie, and he just can't do it with her. Right. And so he runs away. And Grady, of course, that's the scene where Grady dies. And uh, you know, it's just these two sweaty men in in a in a bedroom. And me and Ben just cracked the hell up because again, when you're not looking for the subtext the writer who is gay did not know mike the Pat. actor the the writer was also gay oh because yes. i know i, I my under, i i there was a documentary about this yeah a few years ago called scream queens. queens yeah okay and mm-hmm. i i know that mark Patton, the mark Patton, actor for years has been very upset that they would that the writer would never admit that it was about homosexuality he wasn't out yet And the guy that plays his father that passed away not too long ago also is gay, was gay. He passed away. Clue Gallagher? Yep. I mean, Clue has a kid. And? Uh, That's true. (laughs) That's a good point. He's old school Hollywood. We had to hide that shit. Um, in the documentary for Nightmare on Elm Street, they he makes fun of, you know, all the things that he wished that they would have done with the gay part. Okay. It's fun. It's hilarious. He's hilarious. Um, I didn't. I didn't peep the whole. A good woman saves him, and and I wouldn't have thought that that was a a kind of response to the moral panic of homosexuality and right. AIDS. You know, we can't talk about the the eighties and and the moral panics of homosexuality without talking about the moral panic of of AIDS as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a few movies that deal with that. There was another movie, I think it's called The Sender, which is, uh, I mean, it's very much an AIDS allegory with it. You know, a dude gets a disease and it's, you know, I mean, it's, I I mean, this is, there was moral panics about that. Uh, Going into the 90s, you had horror movies playing off the fear of video games. I don't know if you've ever seen Brain Scan with Edward Furlong. No, but I've seen Evil Speak. No, Evil Speak is another one. I love Evil Speak with uh, Clint Howard. In the that's the that's the connection between computers and Satanism. Which what the hell? You yeah. Know? 
But uh, Brain Scan was a movie where Edward Furlong, sort of like this Ragman character, uh, mm -hmm. plays a kid who's obsessed with violent horror movie games, you know, horror games. And uh, he gets this one horror game and he unleashes a figure, an evil guy, I think called the Trickster, you know, who's sort of, they wanted this to be like the new Freddy Krueger character. But the whole movie is sort of like, it's almost like a remake mm -hmm. of Trick or Treat, where, you know, uh, he, he has to, you know, stop this evil character he's unleashed from the video game world, you know. Um, it's just interesting because, I, I mean, horror movies tend towards, uh, I mean, it's it's easy, right? It's mm -hmm. easy to make a movie that plays on the moral fears of the time. And that's why a lot of horror movies can end up being, you know, I mean, in their own way, very conservative. I think it's a cash in. I don't think they're trying to necessarily tell over the top messages sometimes. Sometimes. No, no, no. I, I don't think it's. I mean, having talked to a lot of people in Hollywood, it's it's all about how can we make that money. <laughs> <laughs> like. Those those movies that tried to cash in on the satanic panic, they're hilarious because they're just so all over the place. Um, and I I did watch Black Roses before we went on air. Mm -hmm. That is a great, horribly bad movie. I need to see Black Roses. Oh, my God. It's it's because they all you can tell none of them know jack about the music which is funny because this is popular music at the time it's selling millions of copies and it's all over mtv but the people that are making these movies have no idea i guess it's kind of like you know the one hip-hop movie that i showed on this channel fly by night where you watch fly by night you're like no one that's ever listened to a rap song had anything to do with this movie <laughs> or known black people has had anything to do with this movie because it's so right. offensive like I, I was gonna go ahead I was going to say another movie that comes to mind when it comes to moral panics. This, I mean, concurrent with the satanic panic was the panic over the new age. You know, you had these weird characters like Constance Cumbie writing about the dangers of the new age and Maitreya. And, you know, mm -hmm. that, that, that goes from like the seventies into the eighties, nineties even. Uh, but there's a movie called bad dreams. With, uh, Jennifer Rubin from another movie. Karen from you Nightmare can't Street find Street. You can't find it streaming. Bad dreams, dude. Dude, me and Ben. I said, Ben, there's this movie. It's like it, I saw it one time, and I vaguely remember it. But it's a it's a Nightmare on Elm Street clone. And there's a guy that does these really good YouTube videos where he talks about knockoffs of different things. And he did a whole 45 minute video on Nightmare on Elm Street knockoffs. And Ben was writing an article at my house, and I was watching it. And he goes. Hey, this is really interesting. And he's like, what was that movie again? That looks really good. We should check that out. So we looked for it. Couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. He went and found it at a video store. And he goes, I have a DVD player. It's like, all right, great. And the only thing he could find was a Blu-ray. We put the thing in, and he lost the remote to the DVD player, and we couldn't play it. <laughs> We couldn't play it. We could not play it without the remote. So I still have Bad Dreams sitting here in its Blu-ray box, and I can't play it. So if anyone in Southern California has a Blu-ray player, let's watch Bad Dreams. I will drive up to SoCal because I have to see this movie. It's been so long, and I can't. It's not on any streaming service. Let's make yeah, it. Happen. Well, yeah, I mean it's fascinating to me because that's that's the movie that plays with the whole. Uh, 
was the cult in that movie yeah. led by the great Richard Lynch, who was just an amazing character actor. Uh, I mean, they're, they're basically like a Jonestown-esque cult. Mm -hmm. so it played into moral panics about, you know, the, the new age. It's a gateway into the world of evil. You know, another one like that is we were talking about it before we got on the show was the Robert Englund directed 976 Evil, which Ooh. I actually double featured that with Trick or Treat. I watched Trick or Treat and immediately after I'm like, I'm going to watch 976. Because you have you, you have the physical copies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would be that fucking guy that kept his. I am. I'm such a nerd. No, I wouldn't call you a nerd. I'm just like, you're the smart guy that didn't lose everything and had to fucking sell all those DVDs. That's that's the opposite of a nerd. That's you're winning at life. But when I was watching that movie, I was struck by it was sort of playing on fears about astrology, you know. Mm. Uh, and also, that's 976 Evil is an interesting movie since we mentioned gay panic stuff. The main actor in that movie, Stephen Jeffries, who was also in Fright Night, ends up – I mean, he's gay. He, he became a gay porn star after – Word! Ended. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, it it's really interesting. There's a lot of moral panics that are arising at the – in the 80s i mean even mm. i mentioned fright night i mean there's weird gay subtext to fright night too there is yes even jeffrey's character in that much like 976 evil is sort of this outsider and you do get the impression you're like this this kid may be gay you know? mm -hmm. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. and the evil forces take advantage of him in both movies so i mean i i think this comes up in a lot of the satanic panic movies of the you know 80s and even in the early 90s you know which is really interesting there was one movie i really wanted to mention in regards to satanic panic mm. that i think is really interesting it's not necessarily a movie you watch because it's it's not campy really it's mm. just it's kind of really grim and gritty and almost grindhousey but mm. there's this movie called um midnight from 1982 and it's uh john russo made it and john russo fascinates me he helped produce the original Night of the Living Dead. He's not as well known as mm. George A. Romero, but Russo had a whole career making regional horror movies in in uh, in Pennsylvania, you know where he's from. And mm. all of his movies are so mean spirited. <laughs> and I don't know for some reason I just enjoy a good mean spirited horror movie. Uh -huh. uh, but he makes a movie called midnight and it's basically a cross between satanic panic and cannibalism so it's a satanic cannibal cult and it is the most i mean it's a grim movie you know lawrence turney the great film noir actor is in it yeah uh, and he plays the hero is and it is it in streams on streaming services or you don't know? i don't know if it's on streaming it may be i mean i'm sure you could find it on youtube but th th this movie is so mean-spirited that lawrence turney who most people know him from, he, he's in Pulp Fiction, um, or not Pulp Fiction, uh, Reservoir Dogs, he's the old guy, um, and also Seinfeld. But he plays the hero, and the hero of this movie has to save his daughter, who mm. ran away from home after he got handsy with her. So he's literally this, this jerk that got handsy with his daughter, but he's the hero of the movie. I mean, that's how bizarre this movie is. But it's an interesting movie because it, it, it combines satanic panic tropes you know ooh, satanist cults everywhere with fear of you know backwoods america you know which i think there's a political aspect to the fear of backwoods america that we get in the texas chainsaw movies so there's all like weird there's weird weird social cultural aspects to all these movies and what they reflect about the climate politically and culturally 
I do have to read the super chat from Joe. Uh, Universal Remote Fool, make it a Friday movie night for the spooky season. Um, first of all, the DVD player is gone now because Ben moved in Southern California. And uh, that he moved? Yes, because now I don't have any friends anymore. I'm just kidding. I have friends here in Mexico. But uh, yeah, uh, we should we should make it a movie night. I might have to mail it to Jeremy, but uh, we'll, I would ask Jeremy if we can make it a movie night. I want to do as many spooky movie nights this month as possible. Uh, M. Toussaint is working on booking out an entire spooky. She called it spooky season, and she's been confirming shows left and right. So there's, there's going to be some really interesting shows coming up. Um, that being said, is that movie Italian? Midnight? Someone says it sounds Italian. No, Midnight is – I mean, it was a regional Pennsylvanian movie. So John Russo, that, like I said, Night of Living Dead, he made all these movies, horror movies in uh, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. He also helped write – he was the guy that wrote the novel that eventually became Return of the Living Dead. You know, but the movie is very different from the novel. Is he the one that had the rights to it and made that Return of the Living yeah, Dead? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. He, he helped produce the original the Living Dead, but and then he continues he made... his career making these movies like Midnight. In the mm-hmm. 90s, he made a movie called uh, Santa Claus, C-L-A-W-S. I know it. Which is also a mean-spirited, very low-budget movie that begins with, like, a kid seeing his parents having sex and then, like, getting yep. murdered or murdering them. Yep. Like, he's just extremely his movies are extremely grim oh i know um, but at, midnight to me is just interesting because uh i i mean i'm sure you have thoughts on this just that that weird fear of i i mean even i have it when i'm on the back roads and in, in florida here where i'm at right now mm-hmm. you know that that fear of like oh, rural america gets played on uh in midnight so it's just interesting how all of these different movies play off the fears of the time. The the you best know. movie about those fears, in my opinion, is Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Versus I love Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Yeah. Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, to me, is this, a lot of the South in a nutshell. Yeah. And, and and I think I've I've told this story before, maybe in the Champagne Room. And someone please stop me in the comments if you've heard this before. But on tour in a long time ago, I can't remember the year. We were at a truck stop in North Carolina, and this guy looks over at me and my ex. It was, it was a group with my ex, which is us two. And he goes, y'all a band? We're like, yeah. And we just started talking after that, and he was asking where we were playing and stuff like that, and we told him. And we happened to be playing somewhere near where he lived. And we're playing in a place called Carrollton, Georgia. And... We had just heard that it was outside of Atlanta. And to me, outside of Atlanta means that you're just, you know, you could see the city. You're like a hop, skip, and a jump from the city. And I didn't really understand outside of Atlanta could be an entirely different world of like coloreds only restrooms, right? Um, and so we talked to the guy and he goes, I'm gonna try to see y'all when you get to town. And so that was like it was like, we'll be there next week. So we told him the date. I think we even like exchanged numbers or something. And and uh, he looked like every fear you have of the rural South, of just rural America. He's a tall white man with a dirty trucker hat, um, a, a very thick drawl. Um, he looked like he could be an, a, a part of Henry the Serial Killer's serial killer team, right? And 
we drive this is back before we had a map so we would take the directions that like whatever navigation app we were using at the time would give us and those things take you down like a lot of state routes state routes in certain places are frightening and we went to a town either called whitesville or whitesburg and my ex is from canada so there's certain things about american racism that just didn't didn't compute with her and she is a person of color as well um so we saw a bunch of antique shops going down the state route and she was like let's go to the antique shop and i was like i don't know and and she's like oh let's just go look at all these antique shops so we get out of the car we stop the car jg i'm not even trying to be funny people in the stores start walking out and looking at us and she doesn't again she doesn't think anything of it until we walk into a store and it's just like you hear the record skip like and so she's like oh i think she goes i think we should get back to the car and so as we're going back to the car more people start walking out and they're looking to see like where we're going right they're just looking they're looking and we're getting scared and the car feels like it's like 12 miles away it's just a block away but it's you know it's one of those state routes where there's no sidewalks you're trying to get down the dirt road as fast as possible then all of a sudden because we're not looking back we know if we look back we're gonna die it's like we're like if you look back you're gonna get shot right and we we right before we get to the car and it's like the scene in the movie like john cusack and better off dead you know fiddling with your car keys trying to get them we hear a car pull up and go there they go right there i dropped the keys because i thought like oh, i'm about to get shot and it was the guy <laughs> <laughs> it was the guy that we had met a week before he drives up pulls up in front of us gets out of his car gives us the biggest hug and he starts yelling to his friend i told you i knew a band i told you this is the band right here <laughs> True yeah I, I mean i've had weird experiences like that too where uh you know I, i've been out in rural pennsylvania uh, camping with friends and stuff and you know it's like you you go into a uh, a shop in a very very rural area and you feel like everyone's looking at you and then you talk to them and you're like oh maybe i had <laughs> misconceptions you that's why it's funny with rural mm -hmm. horror a lot of it really starts not just with texas chainsaw massacre but the 1972 uh john borman thriller deliverance yeah. but deliverance is really interesting right because in a weird way that movie is more nuanced about the whole rural america thing mm -hmm. is throughout the beginning and middle section of the movie you're like wow these these rural rednecks they're 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 like terrorists you know hillbilly terrorists but really in the third act, it's these rural people that help nurse uh, John Voigt and his crew of characters, you know, back to life. And they're helpful to mm -hmm. you know, uh, they're actually portrayed in the third act as like decent people, just like us. Um, just you like know, us, like, yeah. You're right, <laughs> right. They're not about... different. People, <laughs> right? But it, it's weird because that's like the first movie that starts the whole, what's been called the hillbilly terrorist subgenre, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know it's more nuanced like there are these bad characters that are kind of rural but there's also good ones where i think in later iterations of that trope now they're just all bad right yeah. like, do not go to the backwoods you know and we even have movies to this day like that like uh 
You know, they just made a remake of Wrong Turn. Somehow there is six, seven Wrong Turn movies. I don't know how. The first two are okay, but like after that, it's like, why? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, like, oh, fear of the if you go to West Virginia, you're going to meet deformed cannibals. Like that trope is so popular, and it's just weird. You went from something relatively nuanced like Deliverance mm-hmm. that is nuanced about rural America to you know stuff like Wrong Turn and what we have today. I mean, we can't lie and act like these things aren't kind of embedded in our psyche. Like right. there's something that people always bring up on the show, and it, I think it's pretty funny. We had, I won't say her name, we had a, a popular at the time left person talking about organizing, and my co-host said, they're talking about organizing in black black people, black areas, and he goes, why don't you just go to black churches? And the backpedaling. <laughs> so I, 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 you know, because you assume what you think it is, right? Well, this is going to be a place of closed-minded people, and they're going to hate me because of my this, that, and the other. It's like, you don't know that because you've never been. You know, West Virginia is filled. Have you ever been to West Virginia? What do I want to go to West Virginia for? It's like, I don't know. I had a lot of fun there. One of these one of these pictures is from, you know, West Virginia um, behind me uh, playing shows there over the years. It's there's definitely some parts of it that are uncomfortable, but that's everywhere in the world. There's parts of where I'm from that are uncomfortable. But, you know, do movies like Red State make it worse? You said, yeah. I I don't know. Red State's really interesting to me. I like Um, Red State. I like Red State a lot. That's actually Red State was largely inspired in a lot of ways or influenced by uh, a 1970s satan cult movie called uh, race with the devil mm. starring the great peter fonda mm-hmm. um and warren oates who if people don't know warren oates he's he's been in a bunch of uh sam peckinpah movies but um back to the satanic cult thing an interesting movie that influences kevin smith doing red state red state was interesting to me because uh at the end you sort of have john goodman being like you know well no one deserved no one had to die in all of this and you I sort of found my, I I found myself uh, nodding my head to him. Like he he still had some level of empathy, you know. Whereas you know his superiors were like, nah, screw them. They're just rural rednecks, you know. Oh, that that's the I think that's the best piece of film Kevin Smith has ever written is John uh, Goodman's yeah. in thing about people do crazy things when they just believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I oh, did I think I, you know I thought it, I mean I knew it was going to be kind of riffing on Waco. But I, I think it was much – it was a little bit more nuanced than I thought it would be. The Wacos – you end up feeling bad for some of the uh, family members because, like, they're clearly being brainwashed by the Michael Parks character. Who so. is brilliant in that movie. Oh, he's great. Yeah. Brilliant in that movie. Michael Parks, I didn't realize until I rewatched it for the 110th time, is the bad guy in uh, Death Wish 5. Yeah, yeah. But you know, if you haven't seen Red State, a great movie. I would I wouldn't mind doing Red State for movie night. I think that's a a great horror movie. Um, the twists and turns that movie takes that you don't see coming. Um, and who's the bad guy? Right. That that's what makes that movie frightening. When you when you are the victim, but now you're the bad guy. Blew me away. Right. But does it prey on certain fears we have about religion, 
you know, definitely about the South. I think, you know, we've done several shows about religion on this channel and there's always some pushback some people have about religion. Right. You know, they definitely have, you know, I don't know where everybody comes from that listens to this show. And if you've come from a, a repressive religious household, I can totally understand why you would hate organized religion. I was going to say, I think that's just what horror movies do generally. I mean, there's a great essay by Stephen King uh, where he, 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 he opens the essay uh, saying, you know, at best, horror is conservative. At worst, it's just almost inherently reactionary. Mm-hmm. It, there's not a lot of room for nuance in a horror movie. You know, there's the, the it's black and white. There's the, the good self and then there's the other, the scary big other. Mm-hmm. that we have to be afraid of. And I do think that lends itself to a sort of, uh, I guess, conservative or reactionary politics. I'm not saying horror movies are like, we should be afraid to watch horror movies or against horror movies because there's a sort of um, reactionary occurrence in a lot of horror. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, it, it plays off the often reactionary social fears of a given zeitgeist. Ooh, that sounded smart. <laughs> look i love horror movies and sometimes you can read some things in the horror movies um i know i know kevin smith also and someone said in the comments definitely made that movie as a reaction to when he found out about the westboro baptist church because it's, they're definitely a, a big part of it right but it also talks about kind of how powerful some of these churches are in these rural communities and actually in any community a church can be extremely powerful I don't know how powerful Westboro is in Kansas. I, again, there's parts of this country that I don't need to see again. No, I, yeah. Scared percent Yeah. But look, I've kept you for, for well over an hour, and I know it's later where you are uh, in the country. I won't give out where your position is. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you don't get mobbed. Um. Give me your favorite satanic panic horror movies. Uh, In no particular order. Trick or Treat is up there. Mm -hmm. Uh, If we're going with newer ones, Mm -hmm. one that I'm really, really into is it's it's almost filmed to look like a a TV movie, but maybe more violent from the 80s. And it has that very 70s, 80s feel is uh, House of the Devil. (gasps) Warhol Girl. Mary Warrenoff and the great Tom Noonan. Uh, Love from... that movie. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, and it's directed by Ty West. Who it's was that the first me. one? Was that the first one of Ty West's uh, little? I'm going to make the movies look like '80s movies. Was it House of the Devil the first one? I don't know if it was if that was the first one. I mean, it's weird to me because everyone is all up on Ty West now. Everyone loves Ty West now because of uh, X and Pearl. But I remember I was into Ty West going back to. Uh, you know, the he, roost, the, the vampire bat movie he did in like 2001, uh, House of the Devil. One of my favorites of his is The Sacrament, which is uh, it's literally a retelling of Jonestown, but with Vice, with Vice magazine in it. Uh, Ooh. Oh, you know, yes. Yeah. They literally they literally play the audio. Yeah. They literally have the audio from the Jonestown massacre. Sacrament. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Ty, Ty West is an incredible Filmmaker, I'm 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 surprised it took so long for him to get recognition with X and Pearl. 
he also did a really great Western with um, uh, Ethan Hawke. I forget the name of it. I think it's called In the Valley of Violence. Did Ty but, West make that movie? And I think it's called Revenge. Came which one? Like, I think it's called Revenge. I think it came out like 2018, 2019. I don't know. Uh, was it, what, what was it about? A woman goes. I know the one you're talking about. I don't think he did that one. I wish it was a woman and he already. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Is it called Revenge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't do that? No, 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 no. Who did that movie? That's a good question. I, I actually haven't seen that movie. I, I keep getting recommended it. Ooh. Ooh. That movie is like woof. It's it's brutal to watch, but it's good. I swear Ty West did that because it just has that. I guess some bit of style. Yeah, yeah. He he also did. Um, I mean, I'm not a big fan of this series, but he did the second Cabin Fever movie, mm-hmm. which is like it's basically a better version of what Eli Roth did. <laughs> it, no, I mean I'm not joking. It's like it. It's like if you were to watch a John Waters movie, mm-hmm. but it's Cabin Fever. I mean, he Ooh. he hates that movie and wanted his name taken off of it because apparently they, the studio interfered with it. But I mean, I enjoy it. I mean, it's only like seventy nine minutes long. That's how That's much perfect. it's out of it. But uh, Ty West is just very underrated. And House of the Devil is actually probably one of my favorites. It may even be above X, to be honest. I still have to watch Pearl. Uh, you know what I just watched recently, and I don't know if we could call it Satanic Panic movie because it's like post Satanic Panic, but uh. I recently finally got around to watching Jennifer's Body, the Diablo Cody written movie with uh, Megan Fox, Megan Fox yeah. I, and uh, Amanda Seyfried. Uh, and I actually really enjoyed it. I was like, oh, it's an anti-emo band movie. The emo band is evil in it. <laughs> I was not an emo kid growing up. I don't believe you. <laughs> I, I, I'm looking at you right now. Your bangs just wanted to swoop to the side. Oh, God. I do have that look, though. Since you are in Florida, I don't know if you saw. This is a stream side note. There's a there's a basketball player, Jimmy Butler, that went to the press day with his hair pressed in an emo style with a eyebrow and lip ring. And so the first thing the press said is, "Uh, what is this?" And he said, "This is my emo face." That's great. I never laughed that hard in my life watching this fool um and they just and so now there's all these emo nicknames for him like ball out boy <laughs> there was a whole list of emo nicknames for for jimmy butler i, I need to find it it was pretty it was yeah. rather hilarious i was going to mention another movie have you ever seen witchboard hell yeah witchboard is great uh, I don't know if you call that satanic pen. I mean, it's about Ouija, evil Ouija board stuff. The guy that that says Ouija in it all the time that was in the soap operas. Right. Yeah. 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 He, I love him. And that woman is. I think every he died. Tawny Katane sadly passed away. Who else passed away from that movie? I mean, there's a lot of people. I, I think mean, the actual guy that gets decapitated actually passed away. Right. There's not too many people left from that film. Yeah, Witchboard. Go watch Witchboard. I would throw Witchboard in there with the Satanic Panic movie. Right. I would definitely throw The Burbs. Yeah. You, you know, uh, the guy that did Witchboard also did another one. I don't know if you call it. I would call it Satanic Panic. Hmm. Night of the Demons. You know. I made a friend watch Night of the Demons yesterday because I found it on YouTube. Did he see it for the first time? 
It was she. Yeah, it was her first okay. time seeing it, and I got all these messages telling me to go f off, and they're never gonna listen to me again. Because <laughs> I guess YouTube blurbs out boobs. Oh, okay. I see. I see. Yeah. Yo, you can't have that. The lipstick scene. <laughs> she was just that's mad. one of the greatest gags of all time. But go on. I, I, dude, I thought that's a fun movie. I was like, it's a fun movie. She was like, this is stupid. Like, don't ever do this to me again. Um, well, the sequels are even more crazy. I haven't watched the sequels because I'm scared too. So it, it's funny. Night of the Demons Two is uh, actually a really good one from um, Brian Trenchard Smith, but it's done. It's done as like a full long comedy at that point. I mean, there, there's like nuns fighting the demons with like super soakers filled with holy water and crucifix nunchucks. <laughs> also, morbid angel. You know, a- Angela. The, the uh, what's her name? Amelia Kincaid, who plays Angela, the uh-huh. main demon girl in it. She has the sexiest dance scene ever. It's better than the one with Bauhaus in the first one. She dances to Morbid Angel. Okay, I have to see the second one then, just because you said And that. the third one is really weird because it comes out in like 96, 97, 98, something like that. Mm-hmm. And the entire like cast and crew or most of it are the same people who worked on Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark? Because it's a Canadian movie. And it's the weirdest thing because you're like, this is like a – this is like Night of the Demons if it was a Goosebumps or Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. Is that good? Is that good though? That might actually. I mean, I enjoy it. I like it for what it is, but it's just completely different. And also, all three of those movies are getting uh, uh, like 4K remastered Blu-rays in a box uh, set. Yeah, yeah. Night of the Demons will be the first time that it's on Blu-ray. Night of the Demons three will be the first time it's on Blu-ray. So I, I think this That's era, coming out this month. Yeah. for me, this era gives us a lot of fun cinema. Like I said, Trick or Treat, okay. The Gate. Um, There's another one we said besides Black Roses, which is that? Oh, I'm blanking. Rock, rock and Roll. Rock and Roll Nightmare. Rock and Roll Nightmare, worst movie of all time. Right. Um, But watch Dude, it. I've seen movie. movies that are worse, trust me. <laughs> Really? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's one of those movies. Because Rock and Roll Nightmare, if I'm not mistaken, is the one where the guy, like, the singer of this band that isn't a metal band at all, but they're supposed to be a metal band with, like, corpse paint, but they sound like AM radio rock. Um, there's a girl. And she's like okay. 12. And the singer dude is like trying to seduce this 12-year-old girl. He's like, this movie is just uncomfortable. <laughs> Everything about this movie is wrong and uncomfortable. Wow. <laughs> Charles Ghost says, thanks, JG and Jason, for the date night recommendations. Hey, oh, but by the way, I have to mention, there's something we forgot to mention about um, – Trick or treat that is really interesting. You remember that the nerdy character that's friends with Ragman, Roger? He was a writer. That's Glenn Morgan. That's the guy who helped write most of the X Files. And it's yeah. And he, okay. he did the Final Destination movies. I think like the he was involved with like maybe one in three. One, yeah, yeah. One in three. Yeah. I saw that. I didn't realize he was he was a writer. And I think well, he was his, the only time I think he his brother Darren is more well known as a writer because he did some of the best X-Files episodes, but yeah, both of them are like, there's an X-Files connection to, uh, you know, trick or treat. I Look, I think trick or treat is an entertaining film. If you want to go back and really understand the satanic panic without watching a documentary, watch trick or treat and then watch the gate. 
The gate is fun. I can watch the gate with my five-year-old, and he can get a little weirded out, but not too scared. And that's kind of how I judge <laughs> certain types of movies, because I know there's adults that don't want to be scared, and a lot of people don't want to see gratuitous violence for gratuitous violence's sake. I mean, on Twitter the other day, I was having a conversation with someone about horror movies i think talking to you someone had responded to me and they were like how do you feel about the terrifier movies i was like i don't really like them i don't really dig them it's just too much uh, do you do you dig the terrifier yeah. movies I, I well i'm not as big on the first one but i i like what damien leone did with the second terrifier not not necessarily for the gore i get why people don't i like i can understand why people don't like that aspect of it but I, I thought Terrifier 2 was actually a really interesting movie. It was like they gave Damien Leone more money, and mm-hmm. he said, you know, they said I couldn't write a story with Terrifier 1, that it was just gore. So I'm going to write a movie that's really weird and basically feels like David Lynch does a slasher movie. Well, I watched Terrifier 2 in theaters, and that movie is profoundly weird. It's just Then maybe I should check out 2, because I thought 1 was like, yeah, I get it. It's just gross. I mean, the, the only thing about Terrifier 2 is that it's it's really long. It's It's two and a half hours long. But I mean, it, there's like dream sequences and like weird. It, it's like Twin Peaks with a killer clown. Hmm. <laughs> and I, I mean, it, there is some gory moments in it, some very, very gory moments. <laughs> but I mean, I'll defend it on the grounds that I think it's it's just a very interesting movie stylistically, and there's a yeah. lot of surrealist surrealism in it. Like, like I said, it's very Lynchian, and there's like weird nods to Pee Wee Herman in it too, for some reason. Yeah, it's a it's a profoundly weird movie. That you're making it seem seem interesting because I watched the first one and I wanted to like it. I didn't come into the it first one. Is, I'm not a big fan of the first one. I I hate to say that because I I like to support directors like Damien Leone. I think, you know, I, I I appreciate independent directors like that. But the first one, I was just like, ah, uh, you know, it's it's oh, shock the kids. I mean, that's really who the movie is made for. The the original Terrifier did very well. I remember because I went back to college. That's all the college kids were talking about around Halloween. Because people were, it's an endurance test movie, you know. I guess because, but it's it's almost like like we were talking about music the other day, and yeah. you know, once you've called out the color of your butthole on a song, there's nowhere else for you to go. <laughs> you can't. There's no follow up single for that. No, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Right. You've you've done it all, and a lot of this stuff, I feel like you know, if you've seen Last House on the Left. I don't really need to see I spit on your grave. Right. You know, we can talk. We've, we've of course, talked about that movie. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oof, you've, you've seen one rape torture movie. Do you need to see 15? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I, I get you on that. I mean, I it's funny. I, I think I, I was thinking about I spit on your grave since we talked about it last time. Mm-hmm. I don't even really I think I've like blocked the rape scene out of my head. You just remember yeah. the vengeance? <laughs> no, I, I really like the revenge part. Which yeah. Like, I mean, it's I, I, I really find that movie cathartic because I've, I've known people that have been through. I had an ex that has been through some stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's cathartic seeing that girl get her revenge on them all. But, I mean, yeah, movies like that, I can understand why. I mean, I'm not as big into the gore stuff myself. And I think gore for gore's sake can often be very boring. Yeah. Unless it's like Freddy Krueger style gore. You know, I kind of dig that, but. The, the 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 Tucker and Dale stuff brought me back mm-hmm. because I was so out of it, and watching how funny they made the over the top gore 
And then that get back when we were talking about that commentary of the fear of these people just because. Because when you go to the South, there's things that will frighten you. Gun racks are unsettling. Gun racks and Confederate flags can be the most unsettling thing to see. You know, walking around and seeing multiple of them. Gun racks, Confederate flags, MAGA hats. Add that to the mix. These things can make your trip to the South like a horror movie. You might think you're in Deliverance, but you're probably more so in Tucker and Dale land than you are in Deliverance. Sometimes. Sometimes. Ain't that the truth? I, I, you're reminding me now I need to rewatch. Uh, you ever seen Robert England, isn't it? It's a movie called uh, 2001 Maniacs. That, that's the ultimate I'm afraid of. I of, used like, to own 2001 Maniac. It's a remake, too, of an old 60s movie yeah. by uh, H.G. Lewis. If you guys want to see an, an, what what the South can seem like sometimes, right. watch 2001 Maniacs with, with Robert England, where these people make a wrong turn and get into this town that is uh, haunted, I guess you would say, right? It's haunted. Jamie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's uh, they're ghosts basically. Yeah, they're ghosts from the Civil War. They're right, they, they come back every year to do their festival and to get revenge on the Northerners. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a bit much, but yeah, that's it's a fun movie to watch. As crazy as that probably sounds, but it's a horror movie. Yeah, it's it's very fun. You have any uh, before I go? Do you have anything else that uh, you're watching for spooky season? I just saw um. I don't really even consider it a horror movie, mm-hmm. but I, I just saw Saw 10 in theaters. And I'm not big on the Saw movies, but I really liked it because it's basically Saw meets Death Wish. And you get to see Jigsaw, uh, played by Tobin Bell, you know, killing a bunch of like alt-health hucksters. So basically it's Saw versus, you know, Kevin Trudeau, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And, you know, people that sell super male vitality pills like Alex Jones. So. Ooh, okay. That's not, is it? That's not the one with Chris Rock. No, that's Spiral. The new one that just came out is a midquel. It's a midquel. Uh, it takes place between the first and the second movie. And I, I mean, the, a lot of people are mad about it because they kind of make Jigsaw into the hero of it. Someone, someone, Lenny Powers. Apparently, Lenny, I hope you're a patron. Lenny says, but Death Wish three though, because I had the I had the channel watch Death Wish three. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Death, Death Wish 3 is like I wa- the second best sequel. I wanted him to watch 2, but you know, shout out to Jeremy Simon. He goes, I don't know, Jay. 2 is kind of rapey. 2 is hard. 2 yeah. is so rapey and yeah. so offensive. Yeah, so it's offensive. Very offensive. It's very Reagan's America. It's, it's so offensive, I couldn't stop laughing. Right, right. There's there's a scene where one of the characters, this black guy, he just sees a woman and he just goes crazy. He's like, <laughs> he's like he gets into a trance. I was like, oh, my God, who does that? There's some Lawrence Fishburne is in it, right? Lawrence Fishburne died. Yeah, he, he's the, the yeah, Bronson yeah. shoots him and yeah, he has a boombox and he's like he's like <laughs> and he puts the boombox and then he gets shot in between the eyes from the boombox and he dies. Right. <laughs> And I was like, that was the best. <laughs> if I ever meet Lawrence Fishburne, if if you're real and I can go to L.A. and meet Lawrence Fishburne like randomly, I'd be like, dude, 
Death Wish 2, please, can we reenact your scene? Right. <laughs> this is another thing I like to do in L.A. I don't know if you've ever done that in L.A. Uh, I, was staying, yeah, yeah. I was staying at a hotel once, and I didn't realize it was the hotel where um, the movie Set It Off had, the, had that one final scene in the hotel, the shootout scene. And it's also the hotel that Eddie Murphy puts the banana in the tailpipe. Beverly oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So me and my friend were reenacting all our favorite scenes <laughs> in this hotel because there were so many movies filmed there. We were just having so much fun just running around reenacting our scenes. I don't totally love doing that. That's how much now that's nerd shit. Owning movies, not nerd shit. In public reenacting scenes, not even recording yourself with your friend, that's nerd shit. <laughs> I think I win the nerd prize on that. Um, what am I watching right now? I just watched Dead End from like two thousand one. Dead End is actually really underrated. I mean that I watched that around Christmas. That's when it takes place. With uh Ray Wise from Twin Peaks and oh, um Ray Wise. I forget the Lynn Shay is in that too. Lynn Shay is the mom. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's uh, like a mind screw movie. <laughs> the first time you, I, you know, I hadn't seen it in a long time. I hadn't seen it in probably close to twenty years, and uh, it it holds up well. I think you can show Dead Set to some friends, but like, yeah, it's a pretty good movie. As Charles Go said, Date Night, Dead Set, great date night movie. Okay, I have not, not seen bloody. Dead Set. Okay. Or Dead Set's not Dead Set. I'm sorry, Dead End. Okay, okay, okay. Dead end or dead set? Dead end. Dead end. Dead yeah, end, dead end. Yeah. Ray Wise. Um, I rewatched uh, Evil Dead Two. I love Evil Dead Two. And then I, I, I actually just saw. Have you seen Evil Dead Rise yet? No. I, I actually enjoyed it. It's I mean, it's it's basically Demons Two. It's like a high rise apartment horror, but with Evil Dead. So. People saying Green Room, uh, Lulu. Lula Fortune, uh, Lula Fortune. I don't know who you are unless we know each other in real life. And you have Green a- Room's really good. Green Room. They're talking about Green Room. Lula, I won't watch Green Room anymore. I watched Green Room once and I was like frightening. Can't do it. I had a friend. I think I said this on the show the other day. I had a friend and we were watching Hostel, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Turn it off right now." We're like, "Dude, what's your problem?" He goes, "When I tour Europe, I stay in hostels, and I've literally stayed in that place." <laughs> in, the, in the city that's supposed to take place and he goes nope not watching it and that's how i feel about green room i've had too many experiences on the road we've never siphoned gas but uh had too many experiences on the road where you you played a show in some nowhere place and someone goes oh my so-and-so can hook you up for a show in this part of town in this place that you're going to next and we drive to that spot and it's in the middle of nowhere, and it looks like that shit. I've definitely played in some places. I'm like, there's no reason why I should be here right now. I have to get out of town. So, no, F, F, F that. Green, Great movie. That's how good of a movie that is. It was too real for me. Too wow. real for me. That's, that's funny you mentioned Hostel, because I remember I had to watch that movie in my um, – I, I had a class called A History of Violence in Cinema when of I was you in did. film school. And I hate that movie so much. I like the second one. I think it's kind of – there's a lot of humor in the second one, especially when you have uh, Roger Bart who played Hercules in the Disney movies. He literally turns Hill in it, and then mm-hmm. he, he yells, I feel like fucking Hercules, and he becomes a killer. And I'm like, that is the funniest thing 
But I, I hated the original Hostel. And I remember I argued with my teacher about it. I said, this movie is just like an attack on like Eastern Euros. It's like xenophobic frat boy crap. And she's like, no, no, you have to understand. It's like, it's a revenge movie against stupid Americans. <laughs> no, I never thought of it that way. Maybe I will have to rewatch it. It does. It feels that way, right? And it, and it can make traveling, I don't know, to me, when you're, when you start traveling internationally, especially playing music, and you're nobody, it's one thing when you're somebody and there's posters of you all over town and you're on MTV or whatever the hell it is nowadays that you're on, that people know who you are when you come into town. That's a whole different experience than when you're nobody in a foreign country. That's scary. Right. I think it's damn. Especially if you watch a bunch of hostile movies. And then, and then, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a tour manager, because there's certain places you like, oh, you're going to go to like the Balkans with no tour manager and you don't speak any of these languages. Like, have fun with that one. But there's places we stayed in different parts of the world. I'm like, I don't know, where are we right now? <laughs> are we in a beauty shop floor? And you're like, it's okay. Right. So those movies just. Because you have to put your trust in people you don't know. And I think that's what makes those movies, for me, a little unsettling. No, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. And Green Room is just so on the nose with the life that I lead or led, because I don't tour anymore, as a touring musician. You trust that people say, hey, my cousin, you know, he'll pay, and you'll get paid. That's That's another thing that gets you moving. Oh, they have the way to pay you X amount of dollars. Like, oh, that sounds great. You know, we've definitely played places and we're like, how does this guy have this much money to pay us? And there's like not that many people that show up. He goes, oh, it's kind of a front for a drug operation. Right. <laughs> You're like, you know, what? It's, <laughs> it's funny. I've only watched Green Room once. And like, as much as I like it, it's not one that I want to revisit again. I mean, it's a very – I mean, it's not – it's not like a comedic movie. It's a very serious movie. Yeah. And I, I don't know. There, there is something very unsettling about it. See, if I were to pick a movie, a recent movie, that's like a horror movie about fucking evil Nazis, for me, it's uh, Becky and the Wrath of Becky that just came out. Becky Have you seen either of those? No, but I need to now. It's uh, Yeah. Well, they both star. They, they have – the first one has Kevin James. That Kevin James, the – the, the guy that's the, the meme now that's making me laugh uncontrollably. He's the comedy dude. Yeah, the guy that he's he's a. Yeah. I gotta send you one of these Kevin James memes. Okay, okay. Well, he he plays like a leader of a neo-Nazi skinhead skinhead group. Is it and a comedy? It's a home invasion, and this twelve-year-old who is like the most sociopathic twelve-year-old has to fight him off, and she is like very vindictive. So it's it's like a very it's like a it's like Home Alone on steroids with a hard R rating. <laughs> Are the Nazis using the hard R? Just kidding. <laughs> then the, the sequel just came out. It has she she decides to infiltrate a militia group, um, and the militia head is played by Sean William Scott Stifler from American yeah, Pie. Yeah. And it, it's not like they play their roles seriously, but the mm -hmm. it's Tarantino like violence, so it's kind of you know there's a comedic end to it, you know. Someone's asking us, have, have we seen Surf Nazis Must Die? Oh, I have. Dude, trauma? Yeah. 
If it was a trauma film, you probably you were probably lucky enough to see that when that was on USA up all night with Rhonda Shear. <laughs> I saw it. I I was able to get it from a blockbuster. Really? Wow. Yeah, I remember saving my lunch money and then going to Blockbuster and getting it. Anything that was in trauma, if I if I could read a Fangoria, at like if I was at a bookstore, that's kind of where the only place Fangoria was by me a bookstore, and I would see movies they would talk about. Oh yeah, I was all about all things trauma because I had no internet to just go Google everything trauma. So if it had trauma on the box, I was gonna see it. Officer Kabuki Man. Oh yeah, Tromeo and Juliet. I did, which is so heartbreaking for me that I haven't got um, Lloyd Kaufman on the show. I, I may be able to help rectify the that. The first video I ever did for my band, Le Fin Absolute Dumont, which got pulled from YouTube within minutes. The guy that made that video made a movie called The Period about a woman with a never-ending period. Oh there was God. a lot of blood in that movie and so much nudity. Um, the video has a lot of nudity. It's on v- Vimo, Venmo? Not Venmo. What do you call it? Vivo, what do you, what do you call the one thing where you can watch videos? Vimeo. Or... Vimeo, yeah, it's on Vimeo. Um, it's called "She's Got to Be a Pirate." If you can find it, it's insane. The video's insane. Okay. But Lloyd Kaufman commented on it. He was like, "Oh, well, this is really cool." Oh, that's cool. I mean, you should get Lloyd on the show. Lloyd, I mean, I'll say this about Lloyd Kaufman and Troma. Like Troma, I think Troma gets a bad rap in some ways. It's like, I mean, a lot of the movies they've made are not stellar. Troma has actually released some, like, very good art house films. I mean, people don't know that, but, like, uh, Story of a Junkie from the 80s, which was an Amos Poe sort of punk film. Uh, very startling movie about heroin addiction. Uh, they also were the ones that released um, Buddy Giovinazzi's uh, Combat Shock which is a really great anti-war film. I mean, it's it's violent, but uh, it, it's about a PTSD veteran, you know, a veteran with PTSD. So, I mean, I, I mean, the stuff Troma is known for is, I enjoy like Toxic Avenger and stuff, but they've also released some stuff outside of the sort of camp stuff that is like very much, you know, overlooked. You know, maybe those you are know? passion projects by Lloyd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a There's a part of Lloyd that's a kind of a serious guy. Like when you hear him talk in interviews, his analysis of the film industry is amazing. Oh, oh yeah, man. yeah. I mean, I've interviewed him about it. You know? It's that's what I wanted to talk to him about. You know, I want to talk to him about you know capitalist production in the '80s. You know how him and but he's a red diaper baby, so he'd probably love to talk about that. How him and Band and and uh, and uh, Corman were able to kind of make a mint during that moment and in that mint that they make, there's some great movies that come out of, of all that schlock and, and copy yeah. stuff. There's some people that get careers out of that. Oh, definitely. James Gunn came out of the trauma world and now he's making guardians of the galaxy and the, running the DC superhero universe in the movies. Oh, was so. James Cameron was the, um, on one of those Corman movies. Uh, galaxy, galaxy of terror. terror. Yeah. Which is actually a really good Corman movie. It's it's one of the weirdest attempts to cash in on Alien I've ever seen. You know, because there's like this weird psychological aspect to it, and it, it's almost like a haunted house movie. If if yeah. there's this guy that has this video, and he has two videos, it's all the Alien cash-ins from the '80s, or Aliens cash-ins from the '80s, and then all the Aliens cash-ins from the '90s, and they're both about an hour long, and they're really good. 
because there's so many cash-ins from both of those movies. And some of those cash-ins to me are enjoyable. Like Die Hard cash-ins, some of them are enjoyable. Oh, the Die Hard cash-ins are amazing. We could do a whole. That's what we should do the next show. We should like do a whole show on like. It's really hard to get, but there's this there's this <laughs> insane Die Hard cash-in called uh, I think it's called Hard to Die, and Jim Wynorski, who I've, I've interviewed him. Jim's a character, uh, but Jim is known for making mm-hmm. low-budget Roger Corman horror movies with uh, women that have big assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, Hard to Die is actually Sor- uh, Sorority House Massacre 3. It's a remake of the second movie, but with like a diehard subplot. That it's called Hard to Die. Kind of it is absolutely insane. That sounds kind of amazing. Because I, I'm not going to lie, I get Sorority House Massacre and Slumber Party Massacre mixed up all the time. Slumber Party Massacre to me is so much better than the first Sorority House. The first Massacre, Sorority House is when the Sorority leader lady they drown her on accident in the pool i i can't remember i mean sorority house massacre is very it's that movie is weirdly self-serious i mean that you know summer party massacre is like a feminist horror comedy sorority house massacre is like no we're just a straight feminist horror you know both directed by women so you know i mean the driller killer by the time you get this i think it's slumber party massacre too is just you know he's roger rabbit he's He's dancing around. The drill now has a guitar on it. He's Fonzie and Freddy. Oh, yeah, this yeah. This is too much. Yeah, the rockabilly the rock, thing. Yeah, the, I did There's make a third it. one that Ghost tries to do more what the original did. What's weird is, you know why you get Sorority House Massacre movies mixed up? Mm. The second Sorority House Massacre, uh, all the footage to explain the killings is from Slumber Party Massacre. Like the flashbacks yes, yes, in Sorority yes, House Massacre 2 are from yes. Slumber Party Massacre rather than Sorority House. Yeah, it's weird. Like, the, like when you watch enough of these movies, especially like certain Corman movies, there's so many scenes that they just steal from other movies, which to me makes yeah. it hilarious when you watch some of these movies. You're like, wait a minute. That's from the movie, you know, Air Force with or Air Force One with uh Yeah, I remember I would watch these Jim Wynorski and Fred Olin Ray movies where they always reuse the same car crash in every movie. Well, if you watch anything from Corman's company, if it's in outer space, yeah. you are gonna see some Galaxy of Terror stuff in the nineties and maybe even two thousands. Right. They're just gonna slice it in. Oh, we need a spaceship, F it. There you go. Use that shot right. from Galaxy of Terror. We'll reverse it. Like, you know what I didn't realize yeah, no for a long time? That um, the same guy that made the ships for Star Wars made the ships for the first Battlestar Galactica in the 70s. Oh, really? So if wow, you look at that. the ships in Battlestar Galactica, they are the same colors as Star Wars ships. Okay. Huh. They look exactly the same. Right. Like, I love that. Someone says Bruno Mattei. Bruno Mattei is my favorite because he made Strike Force Commando. Bruno Mattei rules. I don't care what anyone's. I, Bruno Mattei's like a hero of mine because he's like an insane renegade. By the time he was like in his final years of life, he was making movies like The Tomb, where he literally just he literally stole shots from the 1990 Brendan Fraser The Mummy movie. And I'm like, this dude is bold. Also, Rats Night of Terror is like one of my favorite Italo horror. Bruno Mattei, if I'm not mistaken, did Terror in Beverly Hills with um, what's Stallone's brother's name? 
Frank, Frank Stallone. Stallone. Didn't Bruno Mattei do that? You know what's sad? I know that movie. I know what Darren Beverly Hills is. I've seen it. Oh, I've seen it. I feel like no one else has seen that other than you. I don't know if Bruno did that movie. I'd have to look it um, up. If you guys want to have a great laugh, for no good reason at all, I follow Frank Stallone on Instagram. Frank Stallone, little racist. Makes me think his brother might be too. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, but Frank Stallone is in this movie. And I think Frank Stallone was following me for a while because I posted a sh- like a video of of me watching um, Terror in Beverly Hills because I had read somewhere that like people had voted this the worst movie of all time. And I was like, well, I, you know, let me be the judge of that. I've seen some horrible films, and I don't think it's the worst movie of all time. But when you talk about so bad, it's good. It's hitting all the beats. Made up uh, Palestinian bad guys. Got it. Um, People getting shot in a clothing store that don't make any. Got it. Frank Stallone as a karate badass that uses no karate. All the beats. And I and I posted like two and so Frank Stallone had liked him and I was like Frank Stallone just liked my okay that's interesting and then I just started following Frank Stallone back I would say it's a big mistake but uh he's a, he's an interesting follow on Instagram to say the least have you seen the legitimately good movie that he's in Barfly no Mickey Rourke it's a Bukowski yeah it's, you know it's, what it's, you know what's good the soundtrack to Saturday Night Fever. This is the end. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, in, in Barfly, he's the villain. He's basically this bartender that's always like, I'm kicking you out, Bukowski. And then he like beats the shit out of Charles Bukowski. And like the whole movie is just Bukowski trying to get one win over Frank Stallone. I thought Barfly was with Mickey Rourke. It is. Oh, Mickey Rourke is Frank Bukowski. Frank Stallone is the bad oh, okay, guy. Okay, okay, okay. I mean, he's, he's the closest you have to a villain in that movie. It's Rourke and uh, Faye Dunaway. But Frank Stallone is like the evil bar guy that always gets into fights with uh with uh the Mickey Rourke Bukowski. I gotta, I gotta watch that then. Someone says their personal favorite so bad as good as fear.com. I vaguely remember fear.com. That's a movie I just don't remember at all. I've seen movies made on like five dollar budgets, so I have a very skewered perception of what is really, really bad. Yeah, when you start going down a rabbit hole of like bad film See, even- once you start watching like shot on video movies from the from 80s, the 80s? your whole perspective oh, on what is bad. Yeah. You know. I mean there's some good shot on video movies, like uh video violence is actually like for its budget a very good movie mm. and much more story oriented. But it's a lot of there is like so many bad like shoestring budget movies that were made in the 80s, 90s that were shot on video, not even on a film. Mm-hmm. But I, I hate putting down those kind of movies though because I I know some of the people who directed those movies. My whole thing is that, like if you took the time to make a a movie, like that's a lot of work that goes into writing a script yeah. and and finding people to want to be in your movie, you know. Even if it looks like crap, it took hours to get those shots right. You edited that thing. You put music to that thing. You probably didn't know what you were doing, so you were learning on the fly. 
Like I give props to people like that. Like if you did it, congratulations for doing it. I don't have to dig it. Right. <laughs> but yeah, someone says things is the best shot on video movies. Things is another one of those movies. It's like you did it. Things is wild. You you did it. You made a movie. I I I haven't. And you know what? I don't have the patience to. If right. someone said, "All right, Jay, you're gonna have you know X amount of months off to write a script and and shoot a movie," I'd be like, I, "I'd rather do the show. I'd rather wow. figure out how to put shows together when people cancel on me last minute. <laughs> I'd rather get in fights with the gang." getting shows put together than try to sit down and write a movie, shoot a movie, edit a movie, get actors for this. That's a lot that goes into but that didn't have somebody say, yeah, yeah F, F you in your movie. <laughs> no, I'm good. You know, it's, you know, it's really great. Just don't say anything at all. <laughs> There's so much stuff I don't like. I don't need to tell you what I don't like. Right. I mean, I've done that because I mean, there's certain uh, there's certain movies I've seen from directors I personally know that I'm like, I'm just not going to comment on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I just, well, you know, you know, how just, there's there's in this world you and I are in, we could spend the next hour and watch the view count quadruple. Super chats roll in if we just sat here and go, you know what I really hate, you know, Jimmy Dore and the <laughs> like all right, the, right, and right. then you go, you know what I hate, Sam Cedar and his Jewy eyes. Like you, you say that, and all of a sudden, you right. know, everybody's commenting, and 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 I just don't care to bitch about that, right? I don't know, it's just not interesting. No, totally. It's not interesting to me to shit on somebody hey, like that. I was gonna say too, since you talked about some of the stuff you're watching for the spooky season, I had to forego. This is how much I love your show. Mm-hmm. I forgoed watching, you know, the 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 season premiere of Chucky to be on the show, and I'm I'm like really excited about Chucky. I think I'm the only. Then I have to give you experience. a hug when we get to to Florida. Then you're you're in Florida right now, right? Yeah, 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 I got to give you a hug when we get to Florida then. I appreciate that because I haven't seen the Chucky show, but everything I've seen from the Chucky show looks like it's a lot of fun. Oh, it's great fun. You know, I mean, and Jennifer Tilly just – I love I'm Jennifer Tilly. all about the Tillys right now. Those women. Meg is in it. Meg, Meg I saw that she's in it. In second season. Well, yeah. I mean, we did the whole show. We talked about Meg Tilly with the Psycho show. Yeah. You know, because she, yeah, yeah, steal, yeah. she steals it for me, that movie. But season season three of Chucky, I I think this may end up being the last one. Mm-hmm. Is they're not they're not doing what they did last time. What what they've done the last two seasons was uh they they wouldn't put all the episodes up on Peacock mm-hmm. all at once. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow all the episodes will be on Peacock. Everyone for for season three. So I I don't know that I'm sort of wondering. I'm like oh are they trying to wrap things up? Um, but yeah, Chucky is going to DC. He's going to be in the White House. <laughs> Chucky in the White House. They have fun with that thing now. Yeah. They get it. That that the first Child's Play though would actually be, or the first three movies would be interesting to revisit because they're kind of subversive for their time. You know. Um, I enjoy. They deal with consumerism. You know. I enjoyed the first Child's Play a lot, and I enjoyed the second one if I remember it correctly. 
I don't remember yeah. if I've ever even seen the third. I'm not real. The third one has like an anti-military angle too. That's when he went to military school. The kid, ain't, yeah, I almost yeah. said Andy. It's not Andy. Is it Andy? Yeah, Andy. Yeah, they recast him with a different actor. Because you know Andy's a guy from Toy Story as well. Right. <laughs> I don't know if there's a. I'm sure there's a joke there with the, with the people at right. Pixar. But no, dude. I I this era of film for me. The the satanic panic era, like I said, if there's anything with playing a record backwards, a heavy metal soundtrack, you, it, right? you know, not so much demon possession stuff. I'm not. You know, I was saying that to someone recently. By the hmm. way, I I really liked uh, that newer demon possession movie, Talk to Me. I I really I know Ben Burgess liked it. Wait, too. which one was Talk to Me? It just came out. It's uh these kids decide to play like a demon possession game. And they uh they always put it on their phones, mm-hmm. but then one of the possessions go wrong. Like they, they, they do it on their Instagram. They're like, haha, look, we got possessed by a demon through this hand mm-hmm. that we bought. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just came out this year. Oh, then and, uh, it did really well in theaters. But I, I enjoy I enjoyed it because it was such a different take on the genre. Mm-hmm. It's like most demon possession films, it's the exact same thing over and over. You know, it's like, oh, the exorcism of Emily Rose, the exorcism of God knows yeah. who. Molly Hartley, whatever. Yeah, like they're just so boring. Like I, I'm sorry, but I don't. I really don't want to see Exorcist Believer. I don't either. Uh, the The trailer's great, right? The trailer's very. Oh, that looks interesting. Yeah. Am I gonna watch it? I don't know. I'll, ben will watch it. Like Ben makes fun of me because he goes, "There's so many movies that you enjoy that I will not watch." And if he ever, he hasn't come down here in a while, but he'll come down here and be like, "No, we're gonna watch." Blah blah blah. And then we sit there and watch blah, blah, blah. And he's, he's, they were laughing and we're like, oh, that's a better movie than I thought. You know, and what I will say about this new crop of directors, <clears throat> every so often, there's a movie that makes me go, I didn't see that coming. This is really interesting. I really dig what you've done with with the genre, be it horror comedy with stuff like all the people from New Zealand are killing it to me. Yeah. I don't know what's in the water there, but from what we do in the shadows to the Deathgasm movies, they are nailing it <laughs> with with the right. comedy horror stuff because you don't get tired of it. Did you like what we do in the shadows, the movie? I haven't seen it. Did you watch the TV show? I need show? to rectify that. I haven't seen the TV show either. I mean, I don't know. It's It's something I've overlooked. It, I didn't want to see it. I thought it was going to be stupid. Okay. And Jean Bajlan was like, Jason, please watch that movie. It's it's really good. I watched the movie and I just fell out. I was like, this is hilarious. And then I was like, there's no way I'm going to watch the TV show. There's no way it's going to be any good. And I watched right. the TV show. I was like, this is, this is hilarious. Surprising, yeah. It's hilarious. There's, there's, and Deathgasm. You've seen the Deathgasm movies? I've been meaning to watch Deathgasm. Oh. I had that lined up for this month, probably. So hilarious. I'm again one of those things I made Ben watch. I was like, Ben, this is going to be your life. You're going to watch them and be like, Yep, that was me in high school. This is this is the dream I would have wanted to have in high school. And he watched. He loved it. Wow. There, these there's some people making some entertaining stuff, and then there's people that are just copycats. And right, like the slow burn horror. That, I'm just like. Pfft. That's what I'm worried about. With uh, I'm going to watch it just because of the cast. But I'm worried that I'm going to be really disappointed with the new Pet Cemetery movie. 
Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. Because whenever a movie has bloodlines in the title, you know there's going to be something it's wrong like, with it. That's what happened with Hellraiser. Let's stop revisiting. Again, that's why some of these cats that I dig, because we got the movie we're talking about right now, Trick or Treat. How does it start? Dido right. De Laurentiis goes, make me a Freddy movie. Okay, make me a Freddy movie, but a pumpkin guy. Going to call him Trick or Treat. Release it. I like your impersonation. <laughs> There, there is a reason I will watch the new Pet Cemetery though. At first, I like David Duchovny, who's going to okay. star in it, and the other one, for some reason, they cast Pam Greer as the sheriff. And I will watch anything with Pam Greer. So it doesn't matter if this is going to be a mediocre movie. I will be happy if I get my Pam. Pam Greer can do one of those movies you get when you start a retail job. Like everyone right. here at Safe Mart is a family, and if Pam Greer is the one in that movie, I will watch it. Right. I will totally. No, I feel you on that. You know, Jackie Brown. Oof. I'm not a Tarantino fan, but I will watch Jackie Brown anytime it comes on. That's his best movie. By far. By far, far. yeah. Because I grew up, again, going to the video store, and I had to watch these. I felt like there was just things I had to see. I don't know if you guys watching this channel the same way. Like, when you were a certain age, you're like, well, I have to see these movies if I'm going to get into this thing, right? So, again, just wouldn't eat, and I would rent, like, the Mac and coffee. And, and once I saw Pam Greer, I was like, oh, well, anything that's got this woman in it. <laughs> right. I remember I first came across Pam Greer when I was like 11, 12 mm-hmm. years old, maybe. And I, I we had VOD service at my uh, with my grandma's mother's cable. So I was watching on her TV. I was watching, you know, these VOD movies for like two ninety nine. Uh, like a black mom. I was going to say the prison ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. If you watch any of those Pam Greer prison movies, you're just like, I think I'm an adult now. It, it was, uh, yeah, for me, it was like my, my my awakening into teenagedom was Pam Greer and then Sybil Danning from The Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf. No. <laughs> because my dad would always make, I mean, I didn't always do it very well, but. My dad would always be like, I don't want you to see the sex scenes. But The Howling 2 had so much sex in it that he was just like, <laughs> Wait, is The Howling 2 the one? That's the one with the, the Starabelle, werewolf bitch. That's not the one with that. And Red Brown. It's Red Brown. Okay, Red Brown. The, That's all you had to say. Red movies, Brown. Yeah. That's all you had to say. Thank you, Red Brown. The yeah. Red Brown. Is he? Can we get him on the show? See, I don't even I, – I, that's a good question. I don't know where red brown is these days i'd have to ask around some of the convention circuit people I know. these are the people that i would love for us to interview and you have to make this happen right caroline williams from texas chainsaw caroline Church. caroline can be hard to get i've tried getting caroline on but um phoebe cates Oof. right for just for no other reason than gremlins and fast times <laughs> Definitely you know, that was probably that that was like an instant crush for me growing up. Like it was hard. Like even even as like a little kid that's like, ooh, I'm afraid of cuties. Like <laughs> there is something magnetic to you as like a, a seven year old about Phoebe Cates. Phoebe, you know what I mean? Um, um, Bill Mosley. I met Bill Mosley. I actually know someone that could probably get us an in with. I Mosley. met Bill, and he will never remember this. I met Bill Mosley at a horror convention in San Francisco. And he was just the nicest man. 
he used to write for uh science magazines too he he uh interviewed timothy leary at one point he has interesting stories. yeah he's he's, he's like a, yeah yeah he's he's a horror he's, and a, he's, he's in a, that band with buckethead but he's a legit horror fan that wasn't yeah. even in the yeah so yeah mosley i would love to talk to mosley um who's the cat that did society uh brian Usna. Brian I, can, I will talk about that after. okay oh god now you're scaring me no i i, I think I, that may be, actually be doable y- Usna, you know i interviewed i interviewed i mean he's kind of a conservative dude and he? he has no no not Yusna. uh the guy that wrote society uh zeph daniel really zeph daniel wrote society and it's originally supposed to be a uh it was supposed to be about a satanic cult. Zeph is an interesting guy. He 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 thinks that he was a ritual abuse victim. So he's you know I I, I mean I don't okay I don't make fun of him for anything like that. Like I just I I've told him I'm like I don't really believe in that satanic panic stuff that you believe mm-hmm. in. But he's an interesting guy and he helped he wrote society. Zeph Daniel. Uh, but yeah, it's society is an interesting movie. The the trajectory of that movie. It started out very much it was going to be a satanic panic movie. And then Yusna completely changed the script. For the know? better. I mean, a lot of people probably can't yeah. handle it, but the butthead scene, everything is worth the butthead scene. Yeah. The butthead, the whole movie. Even if you think the movie and, sucks. Uh, I, I, I was going to say, Zeph, by the way, Zeph Daniel, and I do consider him a, a friend. I've talked to him a few mm-hmm. times. He also uh, wrote Bride of Reanimator. Oh. And um, he wrote... Silent Night, Deadly Night Four. Jesus so, I, I mean, we we have some disagreements politically, but you know, he uh, he's done some interesting horror movies. <laughs> um, but Brian, I I think I may be able to work that. We should do a, a Parallax Views TIR cross. Yeah, we can stream. You can. I have the ability for you to stream this on your channel as well. I effed up and didn't send you yeah. the link for that. Um, I would love to talk to who else would we love to? You know who? I, would be the, the dream get Robert England. Right, right. Robert England. He's doing the rounds now for that uh, Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares documentary. Yeah. I think we should try to get a hold of Robert England because I've seen some interesting interviews with him, but he's a California guy, first and foremost. Right. I am a California guy, and I want to talk to him about his time doing V as well. See, that's what I would do. I would be like, Robert England. From the the TV series V, mm-hmm. Dead and Buried. <laughs> Dead and Buried is like a hidden classic film. No, Dead and Buried is really good. He's in uh the early Toby Hooper movie, uh, Eaten Alive. He's actually oh. like central to that movie. So yeah, um, if we can get if we can get those people, you know, then I think I I would feel very accomplished. I'm sure there's a handful right. of more actors if we really start thinking about it that we would love to have. So you're a Carolyn Williams fan, though? Yeah. Have you seen – she did a movie a year ago called Ten Minutes to Midnight. Every time you say that, all I, all I hear is Judas Priest. Yeah, or you think of the Charles Bronson movie. Right? That's what Ten I'm thinking of. Right? Is that the one where the Ten... killer is butt naked? Yes, Jesus. yeah, we talked yeah. about that extensively okay. last time. <laughs> Yeah, but th- this is actually it's a, this is a great Halloween movie for people to watch, and I want to promote Caroline because I think she does good work. But uh, she was just in this indie movie, Ten Minutes to Midnight. She plays a radio DJ, much like her character in, uh, in Texas Chainsaw in Two. Texas Chainsaw Two, 
she's into heavy metal in this movie and whatnot. But the beginning is she's been bitten by a bat, and the whole movie is her going through psychological changes as she's she's transforming into a vampire. Oh no, we got it. We got it. It's really like what we got to get her on then. Yeah, yeah. It's I like I don't usually say this, but that's like. I've heard no one talk about 10 Minutes to Midnight. It is one of the best horror movies. I'll check it out then. I'll check it out. I I also have to watch still, you know, I'm a Barbara Crampton fan. I love Barb. Oh, so you know, so we can do a show with Barbara Crampton. (laughs) I know, I know some people that know Barbara, but. Uh, I haven't, what's the vampire movie she did? Oh, oh, she did one a few years ago. Yeah, a couple years ago. I'm blanking. Anyway, we got to get hurt. Someone says Sean Cunningham. I'd love to talk to Sean Cunningham because I think his rise to fame is hilarious. I want to do one of those movies and make all the money. Because I would love to talk to him about what he wanted to do with his career before it got taken over by Friday the 13th. Right. He's not a horror guy. I think Sean would be an interesting person to speak to because he really, I mean, he just had that feud with Victor Miller over the rights to Friday the 13th. I mean. Yeah, Sean Cunningham's interesting. I mean, he's done stuff outside of mm-hmm. Friday the 13th. I mean, Last House on the Left, The New Kids, which is my favorite favorite Laurie Lachlan movie. So Jesus, I think he did Deep Star Six as well. Which so, isn't bad. I, I didn't think it was a bad movie. Of all no, the like underwater movies. Six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we could do a whole thing on the underwater uh, alien movies as well. Deep Star. Levi- Leviathan? Leviathan rules. You know, my, the, uh, also the space was like Event Horizon. I love Event Horizon. I, you know, I've been meaning to watch Event. That's another one I haven't seen for some reason. A great for I, for your I, Halloween I, viewing yeah. pleasure, back to back. Watch Event Horizon and um, Life Force. I love Life Force. Oof. Yeah, Matilda. Made, I mean, I know both of us. I, I saw that when I was young too, and it was like Life Force, Matilda May in that movie. My God. So I was scared of Life Force as a kid. I don't know if anybody watched this was the same way or listened to this the same way. I was scared of Life Force as a kid because it hit cable right away in like the mid-80s. I think my parents might even have still been married. And the trailers for Life Force used to terrify me of Matilda May because, you know, the trailers, they're shooting from neck up Um, because it was Life Force and Vamp. Vamp is amazing. Grace Jones. Grace Jones and Vamp and Matilda May and Life Force for young Jason was frightening. For adolescent Jason, game changers. <laughs> game right. changers. Matilda May and Life Force and Grace Jones and Vamp, game changer. <laughs> Both very good movies. One of Toby Hooper's most underrated film, I think, is Life Force. Because that's when he was doing the stuff with Canon. I think that's true. I have to revisit Life Force. I've I've watched his other canon movies more often, like um, what Invader from Invaders, Invaders from Mars, Mars is another one he did. Yeah. Texas Chainsaw too. In a lot of ways, I actually prefer that to the original. You because know. of the camp element. Uh, the camp element. I also just think it's it's a very funny anti yuppie movie. That movie is is kind of a riff on like capitalism gone wild, right? Like it's. I mean, I, I won't go as far as to say it's like an anti-capitalist movie, but it's basically saying like, well, the logical end result of capitalism, cannibalism. You know, they get rich mm-hmm. selling their chili made of human flesh. <laughs> There's the a weird subversive anti-Reagan element. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, I think we talked about that. I don't know if it was you or I was talking with Burgess or somebody. We talked about that with uh, People Under the Stairs, which is the greatest anti-Reagan movie of all time. If you want to add that to your Hollywood. I love People Under the Stairs. People Under the Stairs is a fun movie that just throws the two of the biggest middle fingers to the Reagan administration because it comes out in 1990. So it's written right at the tail end of that time. Uh and everybody in it, Bing Rames is great. The little kid is great. Well, Everett McGill and Wendo Ruby, who play Wendo Robbie, who plays the uh, the man and the woman, mm-hmm. who are the land the evil landlords. I mean, they're very clearly they're supposed to be Nancy and Reagan. Ronald Reagan, yeah, yeah. And they nail everybody in that movie is great. I think it's a movie of its time. So if you're younger and listening and you're gonna go watch it, just keep that in mind. It's definitely a movie of its time. It's very 90s. So it means it's very bright. Horror movies nowadays are so dark that they've been very dark for the last 20 years. And that's yeah. because they have to cover up the bad CGI. <laughs> I've had people from Hollywood say that to me. <laughs> that sounds about right. I'll take that. I'll take that. And there's a difference between that moment in the 90s where everyone goes, we'll just get a star from the WB or CW network and we're going to have a bunch of pretty faces on the cover. Right. Like, there's movies for me of that era that I kind of dig. And if someone's slightly younger than me, like if you came over and you were like, dude, let's watch like urban legends or something. I'd be like, all right. And I can enjoy it. Like my daughter likes that stuff. My daughter's 25. It's weird. I only got into new horror like a few years ago. I skipped all. I was the weird kid that would go to that video. The the reason I like this 80s stuff is just because I had a video store that Mm -hmm. specialized in it. So it's like that's how I got into all this. That's why people think I'm a Gen Xer when I was really born '91. You know, like it's. But uh, I only just got into the new horror stuff from the 2000s, and a lot of it really is not that memorable. You know. Because it's all Scream. Yeah. Wes Craven changes the game twice. Once was Freddy, right. and everybody needs a wisecracking killer yeah. because Jason and Michael Myers and Leatherface don't talk. That's they all get wisecracky post Freddy. Um. And then, uh, and then he changes it with Scream, and he, and it's got to be a whodunit. Right. And all those movies are whodunits with with pretty kids. And uh, yeah. I didn't need to see fifty million whodunits with pretty kids and the same angles. Like there's so much is is copied, and that's again, that's what you get with capitalist production, right? It's like if you like this, you're gonna like twelve thousand more of it with a twist. Right. It's cornflakes with a strawberry in it now. It's not regular cornflakes. Put a strawberry in it, five more dollars. Right. And if you, like me, buy strawberry cornflakes, then you probably <laughs> will watch. I know. I still know what you didn't do last summer with the urban legend. I will watch. I still. I like. I still know what you did last summer more than the first one. Or not, not I still know. Uh, I what was I all, always the know. Second, I'll always no, know. the second one I like better than the first one. Yeah, I still know what you did last summer. Yeah, yeah. that's where that's where it's like the wow. dad of the guy and the yeah. There's there's too much, and this is again this is coming from someone that's watched like all the Jason movies, which are ridiculous, right? Ridiculous. After five, for me, I don't need to watch a Friday the Thirteenth movie. <laughs> Freddy vs. Jason is fun. It is. It is. It's everything that a person like me wants in that movie. It's just ridiculous. Right. But when you watch 
Five is with Corey Feldman, if I'm not mistaken, right? No, 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 no. That's four. four. Okay. Yeah, five <laughs> is the one with the fake Jason killer. I didn't mind fake Jason, actually. I, I love I love Friday the 13th Part 5. I met Danny Steinman, the director of that, when he was still alive. Uh, there's an interesting story about that where he um, – so Danny Steinman was at this movie convention, the guy who made Friday the 13th Part 5, and he decided to use the – they had a VHS room where they would show movies – and he's like, well, can I show the 170s porno movie I did? It's called High Rise. <laughs> and they're like, I guess they let him do it, but like some of the people at the, the convention were pissed off. And everyone's looking at me. They're like, I don't want to sit down and watch a porno with like a 70-year-old dude. I'll do it. I'll just talk movies with him for like an hour. You know? That would be uncomfortable. If somebody said that to me, that would make me uncomfortable. Like, are you going to take your fucking hog out? I, I learned a lot. He gave me like insights. <laughs> That's not I'm what not, you say if weird. you watch the porn with this. I learned yeah. a lot. <laughs> and then we talked about walking uh, uh, the movie Savage Streets that he did with Linda Blair, and he was telling me he's like, yeah, I got that dude. The director of Friday Thirteenth Part Five was like mobbed up. If you listen, no, JG and I have went on for too long. We're we're now getting into Joe. No, we need to cut off. Yeah. We're getting into Joe Rogan territory, but listen. Savage Streets. Have you seen Savage Streets, JG Michael? Yeah, I love Savage Streets. Go fucking iceberg! <laughs> Savage Streets yeah. is a movie. I think it's a is it R? It's got to be R. No, oh, I think it's R PG. Is it it's an R? R? Yeah, it's definitely okay. an R. Linda Blair plays this like bad girl, and she's right. got these friends. There's her a sister scene. is a mute Linnea Quigley. Isn't it Quigley's first movie? It's it's not her first movie, but it's it's an early one. I think the rape scene in that movie, like the actors got mad at the director. It's it's hard to watch. Yeah, that, well, the director, yeah, Steinman, yeah. There's there's a lot. There, the people like walked off set. I think well, somebody yeah. quit. I think after that movie, one of the actresses quit. But anyway, that movie is a movie of its time that you have to go back and really appreciate for that time, right? Because the teacher or the vice principal in it. Is Dean Warmer. Dean John Warmer Burton. slaps the shit out of right. Linda Blair in that movie. In the school. Remember, like she was like, I think she got in trouble for something, and he just slaps the shit out of her. And I remember Ben was he was walking by. He, he used to write here a lot, actually. And he was writing something. And he goes, What the fuck are you watching? Because <laughs> right. you just see this principal slap the shit out of a student. And and you know and what she do after she gets slapped? She just goes back to her friends like, no, you fuck the principal. <laughs> they just go off. See, I, I remember that, and I remember when he says to the one bad kid, the villain of the movie, he's like, go fucking iceberg. Which is that, that is the greatest line ever. <laughs> he yeah, he's just so fearless. He is right. so fearless with the way he well, that, treats these kids. Yeah, that's that's the great thing though. I remember the first thing I asked Danny Steinman when I I had that experience of watching his porno movie high rise with him i was like so how did you get john vernon to be in savage streets and he's like oh he owed my friends some money for cocaine i was like shit daddy you were like you were like tied in with like mob types man but friday the 13th part five is honestly like one of my favorite friday movies it's the sleaziest one it is yes. so it's that's so the crispin glover crazy. dance scene no that's the, the fourth one the, the no, film. Crispin Glover's in five. Crispin Glover's in four, dude. I know my shit. Somebody Google it. If he's right twice, I need to give JG a fruitcake. 
That's how much of a nerd I am. <laughs> I need to send him. Can I send you a big bag of candy corn? <laughs> I do like my candy corn. Good, cause you know why? Because you're a good man. <laughs> That's why anyone that doesn't like candy corn, don't trust him. Don't trust him. Lenny Powers points out, yeah, Vernon was also amazing in Killer Clowns. He said, he said he was so sweaty in Killer. Now he we was, know why. He's probably doing a lot of cocaine. <laughs> coked out of his mind. <laughs> Michael Ray says Glover's in four. The breakdancing scene is in four? Yeah, yeah. Oh, then I'm getting so five is Tommy's all of a sudden like twenty nine. Tommy's older and he goes to the the uh the like, adult place the, the adult mental care place. What else was in? Who else was in five? Uh, the the black dude from um, Return of the Living Dead is in it. That's what Michael Jackson scene. look like. That's not the scene where he gets killed on the shitter, right? Yeah, that's Ooh, the one. Baby. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. Baby. yeah, that's him. Yeah, yeah. Who the first of all, I've been black for about 46 years now. <laughs> and in all the 46 years of being black, <laughs> um, and I've eaten food that has disagreed with me. I mean, before I started the show today, I ate a salad that Toussaint told me, why did you eat that? Um, I won't tell you what the salad was because you will, you will ask the same question. I'm gonna I'm gonna type what the salad was because I want you to know because you're gonna say that's that's stupid. I'm typing you what salad I had. There you go. Just can, tell can me. I'm not gonna. I I, I don't want to see it. You're supposed to say it on there. I had to do it. You <laughs> you yourself up for that. You. <laughs> You opened yourself up for that one. <laughs> no one is safe with JG Michael. Just remember that. <laughs> um, someone says Mexican sushi is pretty wrong. I wish I had that. I did not have that. Um, and even when food has disagreed with me, uh, and I've been in in and out, I never thought to, while taking a shit start singing uh, Negro spirituals while my girlfriend's on the other side of the door listening to me have an ass explosion. <laughs> Those things. And uh, being black for 46 years, gotten to know tons of black people, tons of them in my family. No one has ever sang on the toilet. While having it's one explosion. of the weirdest scenes I've ever seen in, a in cinema movie. history. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> These people love singing and dancing. <laughs> But he's taking his shit, boss. They sing and dance even when they shit, son. <laughs> That's... I'm, I'm just surprised. You, so you, the first four Friday movies are your thing. You're not into like, I mean, there's the New Blood where he fights basically a stand-in for Carrie. There's yeah. he goes to Manhattan. Which really, that's only twenty minutes of the final act of the I movie. I fucking hated Canada, Manhattan, Canada, Haddon. Yeah, it wasn't Canada. Yeah, Canada, Haddon. I hated that. Um, Jason you know, in Space. I tried to watch. Jason in Space is fun, but it's an acquired taste. Right? You're kind of like, eh, I get it. And then there was Jason Goes to Hell, aka Jason, uh, basically being re- like the. It's basically a remake of The Hidden, you know, from the '80s with Kyle MacLachlan. Mm, no. I mean, in a weird way, it's like it's like a version of that story with 
Jason body swapping with people, you know. Yeah, that's right. Jason I vaguely remember Jason goes to hell. I vaguely remember that. I I told you I just watched um Freddy vs. Jason when me and Birds were going through all the Freddy movies. And uh I was like, Oh, this is this is a lot of fun because I watched it when it came out and then I forgot about it and then watching it again. I was like, This is fun. But Jason movies are just so all over the place for me. Right. That I'm just like, eh. And I saw so many I watched all the knockoffs. I've seen Sleepaway really? Camp one through forty five. Pamela Springsteen. Let's get Pamela Springsteen on the show. She will not talk about those movies. Why? Because she's a serious photography person now. She can still she, take serious dude, pictures? They have tried to get her at every movie convention I know about. She will not do it. She's like, nope, I don't want to do it. I'm a serious person now. I don't like this stuff. That's so weird. What's the woman's name? I forget her name. But she's the little girl from Sleepaway Camp, the first one. Felissa Rose, who is Felicity, actually Felicity Rose. I, Felicity? I for, Felissa Rose. I forget Felicity. who she dates. I know she's involved in the metal scene with like someone from Slayer, or I think she knows some people from the punk band Can't Kill Yourself, CKY. CKY, yeah. She's done music videos for people, you know. I could see that. Yeah, Felissa. Felissa's cool as hell. She seems. She seems fun. She seems like she wants. Like she's fun. Fun to interview. Like that's that's. What, oh yeah, yeah. Like people have to understand. Like there's a lot of people you want to interview. But some people just don't want to talk to anybody, and they're not fun, and they don't want to talk about anything you want to talk about. The fact that John Cusack is doing a screening of Better Off Dead is huge because no, he hated big, yeah. that movie. He hated that movie. I'm I'm surprised that you're willing to admit that you're a fan of the Sleepaway Camp movies. I know I've I've seen article after article debating the first movie. Because of the oh, that. I mean the the weird thing is I'm like no it's it's like a it's an LGBTQ revenge film man yeah I'm like everyone yeah. who gets it in it you, you're like cheering for them to get it <laughs> yeah, I think she Dude, murders a pedophile cook in it <laughs> I'm like no I was cheering when that happened we when we go back and watch some of these movies and people have a certain rewriting of the history. And it's, it's always people that weren't even alive during the time. It's it's like people that hate on um. What's the movie where the dude is possessed by the devil and makes out with his friend? Not his friend, but makes out with the bully in the shower. Oh God, I don't even know. I can't. And 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 a gay man wrote it. And there's people that think it's an anti-gay film. It's like, well, a gay man wrote it about his own coming out. And I don't think and there's anything about that film that's anti, right? right. Um, it doesn't have the ending that, that you point out in Revenge, Freddy's Revenge, where a woman comes in and, and saves the day. And there seems to be kind of like people want to take these things that aren't even really that that classic and beloved. Right. And use it to write their 10,000 word dissertation. I have to be honest. I've said that to people when the uh, – there's always an article on bloody disgusting reevaluating sleepaway camp. And I know a lot of – there's actually trans women I know that are very supportive of it. They, they like – they write, write about how much they love the movie. But what's interesting to me is I'm like, how can you cancel sleepaway camp? <laughs> like, other, than, other than like maybe a, like 
more than a handful of people, but like it's not like millions and millions of people are like, oh, we need to debate the merits of Sleepaway. It's such a minor movie. You know? <laughs> like, any movie in the 80s and 90s that had any sort of what we called it at the time, cross-dressers, cross-transsexuals, right, right? Any anything that had that at the time, they were villains. Watch an Andy Sidaris movie. Watch any Charles Bronson movie. If you are some sort of cross-dressing or trans character, you're the villain. Like I said, Gene Simmons playing the hermaphrodite bad guy in in uh, Never Too Young to Die or whatever it's called. Like you're always the villain. And in this movie, she's not really the villain, and it's just for shock value. Right. Again, much like songs that are talking about you know, all the ass you're going to eat and what color your holes are. That's just shock value. And Sleepaway Camp just goes away from that after that, right? I think the main character, Angela, has a full-on sex change, and it's not really addressed anymore that much. No, it isn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's weird. I will get flack for this from the horror community. Mm -hmm. I like Sleepaway Camp 2 and 3 much more. Than the first one, and I, I like it better. I like it much better than Return to Sleepaway Camp. Well, it's almost like they're different movies entirely. But. They are, because again, they're trying to take that whole element away mm-hmm. of you know which one is it? Is it the brother or the sister? Right? It's it's. And I can't look at something that was done in what 1981, 82, maybe 83. Sleepaway Camp comes out, maybe. That's yeah. not shock value. They're not trying to make a social statement like like the the Death Wish movies are, right? And the Sidaris movies are, and even the Sidaris movies to some degree are not trying to make a social statement. I think but, Sidaris just wanted to make a ton of money. He just and, yeah. While he was doing it, he, he's basically like the Adam Sandler of his time in that way. Because you know Adam Sandler now will just make movies mm-hmm. that are big vacations for him. He's like, I want to go to New Zealand. Let's make a movie there. <laughs> like, you know, hey, I mean, that's what he did with the Hawaii movies. Andy Sedaris. He's like, I want to oh, make yeah. movies with, you know, big they're all in Hawaii and Vegas. I don't find that coincidental at all. I'm sure he's got a big pile of cocaine over there where he was, right. you know, um, a lot of that Motley Crue book, they talk about being in Hawaii with drug dealers and cocaine and all that stuff. So I'm sure they were all having the same party and you're just, you're coked out of your mind. And it's just shock value for shock value's sake. There's ninjas in those movies for no reason whatsoever. I, by the way, I saw that someone I, – I know we'll wrap up, but uh, mm-hmm. I saw that someone in the YouTube comments uh, asked, did they talk about the toolbox murders? I just want to say – Which one? I, I, well, I love both of them, but I, I love the original, even though that is probably not the best thing to say because that movie is like sleazy and grimy <laughs> and mean on a level that you don't see in a lot of movies. I love the original Toolbox Murders. I like I like the Toby Hooper one too, actually. But that first one, it's like a woman getting electrocuted in the bathtub while she's pleasuring herself. Like, oh, <laughs> I mean, that movie, I'm like, what? The, this is Gonzo shit, man. Like, well, so again, some of these guys, like, how do I get butts in the seats? I right. just have to be more insane. Well, movies like that, too, were showing at, like, some of the grimiest theaters on 42nd Street in New York. <laughs> just got to be insane. Right. Just got to be insane. And and that's what people were doing. They were pushing each other's boundaries. And I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying we should applaud it. I'm just saying it as a statement of fact 
if, if you want to start your analysis, please start it there and stop thinking that there was this much thought put in to how these movies were going to be done. Now people say the word final girl. I really refuse to believe that when they're making, you know, chop them up in the forest five in 1987, they were talking about, well, who's the final girl going to be? No, they didn't give a damn. Right. What do we need? We need to, we need a broad to die in the end. We need a broad to die in the end. Who's going to be the broad to die in the end? The one with the smallest debts is going to be the one that dies in the end. Oh, right. That's how these guys are talking when they're making these movies. And, and I think we have to kind of look at it more realistically instead of thinking about it, you know, we can have these conversations about what the bigger meanings right. that sometimes we think about these movies, but ultimately we know that a handful of directors probably had some bigger meanings in their films. A bunch of other guys were like, right. you're going to pay me to make a movie and I love making movies. Hell yeah. I'm going to make whatever. Or you're just like, you're just out of film school and you're like, Hey, how can we make a movie and get our foot in the door? We can do a low budget movie on Staten Island. Call it Mad Band. <laughs> yeah, that's an actual movie you know like i yeah. think the burning is similar in that regard i think it was like they were just starting out but you know the what the one movie that stands out if you're going to watch one slasher movie this month that you uh want something that's kind of above the usual antics of a of a slasher movie is uh butcher baker nightmare maker Ooh. which is that is a deeply pro Ooh. that's a pro game slasher movie and the real villain of it is is like a cop. I mean, it's really subversive for its time. Ooh, shout out to JG. Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. For all these people, this means Andy. Watch that movie. That's so, that's a good one that a lot of people slept on. I think the title is kind of like, what the hell is this? It's a weird title. I think it got re-released a few times under different, it was once called Night Warning, which it's may definitely be the worst title. It's on streaming right now. You can get it on uh, on uh, Shutter and Amazon and stuff. Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. That's I've watched that multiple times recently. Oh really? I mean, it's it's it actually it really works well. I mean, especially um, Bo Svensson, uh, who previously played uh, Buford Pusser in the Walking Tall sequels. He plays the homophobic cop in it, and he's like brutal mm-hmm. in that movie. You know, like using the F word and whatnot, but like you really hate him in that movie. You're like, wow, what a horrible evil scumbag. It's very subversive for its time. That's a fun movie. Well, look, I want to know we're we're approaching our three hours. Like I said, we hit Joe Rogan time. Like this is too long. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, no, I, no, 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 no. I'm just, look, I'm sorry. I, I, I knew this was going to happen. You knew this was going to happen. Right. We get along for a reason. Jake. Right. Um, I want to know what you guys are going to be watching for Spooky Month, as JG calls it, Halloween is Spooky Month. Give me some suggestions because I'm going to go back and watch the same things over and over again. Um, I try to dip into my toe back into the Giallo waters, but it's just too scary and it's too quiet. <laughs> I'm too secluded. Um, but I want to know what you guys are watching. Let's let's make a list. It's, these things to me are that much fun when i see what you guys are watching i always learn about new stuff i love the suggestions um keep it i have to be honest i'm like amazed at how knowledgeable your audience is about these movies dude i i I never know what i'm gonna get with a show last night i thought we were gonna have this great show we had 
Paul Prescott, who's literally a union organizer. We had uh, one of my favorite economist friends, Dr. Jack Rasmus, talk about, you know, kind of the impetus for the UAW strike, where it could go, kind of history, great show, views. I don't know what people like. I, I, I'm just going to keep doing it. Hopefully people keep turning it. They like they like um, the horror talks. So this is fun for me. Uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow is a masterpiece, says Joey Nicholas. Nichols. Kushlik says Giallo is life. Yes, it is. I love Giallo movies. Um, what is Beyond the Black Rainbow? I haven't seen that movie, but I do know it's like a newer horror movie from, I think, the 2010s. I think it's like an art house horror. I saw someone comment at that. If Beyond the Black Rainbow is some moody bullshit, I will yell at you the next time we do one of these. Fun well, I've never movie. seen it, so. No, not you, JG. Whoever oh, suggested it. I didn't even see who suggested it, so. Oh, Joey Nicholas. Nick Nichols? Nicholas. I can't. It's very small print, and I don't have my glasses on. So your name is going to be Nicholas from now on. Um, whoever, whoever mentioned uh, the the Last Circus, I, I will watch anything with uh, that that was directed by Alex de Iglesias, who may be one of the most <gasps> insane Spanish directors ever. Is he the dude that made that crazy movie in the eighties? He made Day of the Beast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the priest that decides, like, he has to stop the Antichrist so he commits as many sins as possible before he goes to hell. That's the one where the guy, there's a movie he made where the guy was in his pajamas for, like, the most of the movie. Yeah, I, I mean, they, they run together a lot for me, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, that dude's crazy. They said this is the guy that did Mandy. Well. I don't know who did Mandy. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, we got to check out Beyond the Black Rainbow um, by Joey Nicholas. Joey Nicholas, I'm going to check out Beyond the Black Rainbow just because I like the title of it. Um, that sounds like a fun date night movie. <laughs> um, I may actually have a date this weekend. Uh, so on that note, thank you so much, JG, for hanging out. Sorry you missed the premiere of Chucky. I have a feeling you can still watch it. I'm gonna wa- I'm gonna watch all the episodes tomorrow probably. Okay, there we go. See, now <laughs> I don't feel bad. I felt bad for like seven minutes. Now I don't feel bad. I'm um, just happy they're putting it all on Peacock all at once. You know. I thought Peacock is gone. No, 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 no. Oh well, we can't have it here in Mexico. Oh really? <laughs> that just means yeah, all they... the stuff. A lot of stuff that's on Peacock is on like Netflix. Oh, I see. Yeah, you can it gets weird with that streaming stuff, man. It is. It's not fun. Trust me. I, I had friends in uh, the UK that were like losing their minds when uh, the new Hellraiser movie came out mm-hmm. because it like it was supposed to be on Hulu, but they didn't get it there. We don't. Yeah, so I think. Nope. That, yeah, it's nope. like. And you can't project it on. Yeah, trust me. It's it's not fun. It's not fun at all. Thank you, guys. Someone just mentioned Serpent in the Rainbow. We'll have to do an episode on that. Pascal oh, can talk about why he hates it. We've done an episode. Go back. We did a whole episode on voodoo, and we definitely talk about Serpent in the Rainbow, the history of the man that actually wrote the book, why he hated it, why he didn't want Wes Craven to be tied to it. David Lynch was literally going to be tied to it. 
Yeah, we've done a whole episode. The Dr. Paul McComb, uh, I forget what it was called. But I think it's like, what is voodoo or something like that? We did a whole episode on the history of voodoo. So on that note, we are out. Thank you.